Welcome back to Cooper Duper, a Twin Peaks podcast for regular people. This is Jess. I am Mikey. And for now, until my name changes three or four times throughout this. Yeah. Oh, uh, boy. So we watched, we just watched Dune. And I. The 1984 Dune. The 19, one, obviously. Correct. I figured they didn't think that we watched a movie that is not out yet. That is by a director that we are not talking about. But maybe. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, we, Mikey and I are so famous. We got an early edition, yeah. a, a critics screener. Uh-huh. That's uh-huh. what they call them. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And we watched that. Timothy Chalamet is also pretty old for that role, huh? <laughs> I guess. I don't really know how old he's... It's, I mean, the way they talk about him, they make it seem they like... They call a, him a boy man <laughs> at one point. The boy like, man is a really fun thing that I'm definitely going to bring on to my post-Dune life. Yeah. <laughs> like a boy man harassed me on Twitter today. Um, That's great. <laughs> I like that. So we watched it. It's it's kind of long. It's pretty confusing, but I also didn't think it was as bad as yeah. I thought it was going to be. It's, it's not that long for a movie, especially nowadays. Everything it, it is didn't pushing. feel long. Yeah, I, will I mean, it, it feels long, but it... I mean, it didn't feel excessive to me. It felt it, like shit was happening throughout the thing. On the contrary, I thought it... I, I just have no idea what that shit was. I felt like I was so close to following it, and I really wanted it to I, be like a trilogy. I, it was I will simply too much So this shit. is the second time I've seen it. Um... Uh, so it was better this time because it made more sense this time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will applaud your efforts in that you like at the opening titles and stuff like took pictures. I did so that you can reference like which planets were which and which house was on what. So, like at some point later in the movie, which did well for you for a little while, and you're like, "See, I'm following this." And then I was just just hang on because ah. shit just like names start changing, mm-hmm. things just. All of a sudden, they have different voices, or they have like, what the fuck is yeah, happening? Yeah, the accent work like, was was challenging. Or, but just straight up different voices, and like, I I legitimately wonder from like a script standpoint, is all of that thought ADR? So I can actually tell you because is, I is that after the fact, or is was that scripted that like. We need to hear their thoughts all the time because um, it feels like it's like they put a screener out. And people were like, no fucking idea what happened. And then they went back and did ADR. and um, Sort of. Um, and that did happen. Uh, more specifically, David Lynch had a three-hour movie in mind, and that's what he wrote a script for. Sure. Um, and at that time, uh, and this is all according to... Which is funny that he wrote a script for three... Usually he writes a like 45-minute script and then makes it. <laughs> exactly. You know what I mean? Like, um, and this is all sourcing from... IMDb that I read like mm-hmm. 20 minutes ago so take that for what it's worth um, but the studio oh. was like absolutely not two hours 15 is the longest we will let yeah. you go because it was a matter of how many times could they screen the movie in a movie theater so oh, if sure. it's three hours they only get four screens a day instead of yeah. six or whatever so uh, that so, makes sense so that's I mean, part of a, it you know um, apparently and so it was all it apparently there may be some sort of quote-unquote director's cut somewhere but david lynch refuses to talk about it because he, he doesn't w- like it no he doesn't and he had a miserable time making it which honestly if he was like i loved making dune it was weird and it was crazy right. then i think this would be like a good campy fun movie but because he was 
seemingly very right. miserable over like right. the three and a half year process of making this movie that it's like oh this just gets yeah her. and he like it was yeah it was just it, way too much studio interference right it was the same thing that pissed him off about Twin Peaks at the time yeah exactly like, it I want to I have this thing in mind and I want to do it and you just fucking won't let me right because you need to make and I get it they need to make their money back like I get the production of side of it but like but yeah, it's always it's production just, led instead yeah. of production is going to support you yeah. to make art, which obviously that's not how anything works anymore. Uh, it kind of reminds me of when I found out that like Shelley Duvall was basically emotionally and physically abused during The Shining. It kind of takes the shine off the yeah. apple, yeah. pun intended, of watching a movie that like, oh, I, a lot of people had said the same about Buffy. That mm. I guess Joss Whedon was a nightmare to a lot of the women in particular and like they're like, I feel like I can't go back and watch it because now I just know that this wasn't a fun mm-hmm. experience for these people. I think there is a specific kind of empathy that some people have. Like, I de- definitely have it that, like, if I think one person... Like, the only exception I can power through is Louis C.K.'s cameo in Parks and Rec because I think <laughs> it's quite funny. Mm-hmm. Um, but in general, there's a lot of things and, that, like, oh, well, this person's in it. Louis C.K. has nothing to do with his performance on that show. Like, he wasn't doing that to those people. Right. He was, yeah, like, that's fair. You know what I mean? Like, the but Shelley Duvall is, is directly related to The right, Shining. Right. The Buffy and Joss Whedon is directly related to the production of Buffy yeah. the Vampire Slayer. Right. Like, it's it's the same way, like, I I just watched it recently again. I watched Seven. Oh, did you it, watch it recently? I watched it with commentary. One of, one of the, there's four different commentary tracks. Oh, who's commentary? Um, there's... Is it Fincher's? Fincher's on all of them. Nice. And then... Oh, he did four different... And there's wow. one with um, Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman. There's one with, um, I think... It's like cinematographer, editor, and somebody else. Or like it's I, I don't remember who the four are. I listened... I kind of bounced around between them a little bit at first. And oh, then, just and while then just, you were... Yeah, I just changed the audio selection mm-hmm. and then... Which ended up watching remember? mostly the Brad Pitt and oh, that's what I, but I'd I'd like to to watch some of the other ones but I it just doesn't for some reason I'm able to separate Kevin Spacey from that because I feel like the shit again the shit that Kevin Spacey has nothing to do with the production of Seven right you know what I mean I mean he's but a garbage but human the flip side is you have to start his face for the whole day. And I do say, like, Seven is but one of my also, favorite movies, too. He's, he's on screen for oh yeah six minutes. Right. You know what I mean? Like, he's barely in it. Totally. And, like, I think the the sort of separating the art from the artist is finally getting cracked open in a more sincere way in the last few it's years. Everything like is a case-by-case case basis, I think. Right. And I think that's how everything in the world should be approached. I mean, more or less. More or less. I mean, that's the irony irony of saying everything is a case by case (laughs) basis and that's the rule for everything is uh, not Um, not lost on me. So I thought maybe because this is a pretty dense movie that it would be maybe not incredibly helpful to go through the plot. And Mikey heartily disagreed. Well, I feel like we can on the contrary wants to learn more about how the plot goes. Um, any like before we get started, any standout performances for you? Performances? I mean, so I think my favorite part about this movie was 
a lot of the very big performances and yeah. like the big swings the actors took. I thought that was pretty the, fun. The the problem with with everybody is that it was hard to get on board for performances because I had no idea who they were or what their motivation was for most characters. Which you know makes what I mean? sense. I am very easily able to be like, ah, oh, that guy's doing some fun shit with his face. Yeah. Like, I'm not too concerned about whatever. He's doing big gestures or good acting or <laughs> however however you qualify good acting. Yeah. <laughs> well, and also the problem is, like, off the bat, I knew I was fucked because they give you immediately four planets, one of which also has a nickname. Right. One and of which we don't ever fucking even see. Nope. Um, like it doesn't they, they take time to whatever Gigitus Prime or whatever Giggity 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 Yeah Whatever that one Getty Prime Getty Prime And it never even makes an appearance I don't think Or it did and I missed it in some way I honestly don't remember I don't um, think it plays Like it, eliminate it Like that's the thing I feel like there's so much They I've never read the book Probably won't ever And I feel like they tried to do so many nods to the book of like, oh, people who've read the book will understand what this change in eye color means or this change no, in... No, they mentioned the eye they color. They changed thing. it, but why it goes back and forth, they don't really explain. But Or like when and why it's... Because they say that the Freemans have it, but they don't say why other people would get it. Mm-hmm. Like there's just things... Like that was just an example I thought, but like, oh whatever tool or why whatever happens there's a lot of subtext i think that they like oh if you've read the book you understand what that means but that was a nice nod to that um but i but for the most part i feel like you needed to cut out at least one entire storyline i agree i absolutely agree um i'm just trying to pull up a it just yeah it was so dancing all over the place and then it was like, okay, as soon as you feel like you're starting to get into a groove about something, and then it's like, oh, and by the way, she's also pregnant. And there's a, this other character. And like, every scene was like a new fucking, like the first 40 minutes of the movie is new character, new character, new character, new character. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I haven't learned the fucking f- main characters yet. Like This felt like... I, I think the reason at first I was kind... And really, I enjoyed it in spite of not necessarily always understanding what was going on. But I think that's just by virtue of, like, watching a lot of costume dramas and, like, Game of Thrones mm-hmm. that have those sort of big moving set pieces around that you're like... Uh, art direction it, is incredible. I Yeah. Art like, I loved incredible. the look of it. Yeah. It was so interesting and yeah. weird. For and its, that's all Lynch shit. Right. And that's... Yeah. Um, but, yeah. so But the pro- to, to circle back, the problem is I have four planets one of which has two names and then each of those planets has what's the two name um arrakis and then that's dune oh that uh, gotcha yeah um and so i have to keep in theory this is one of the first things Mm -hmm. i see okay i have to keep four planets and then they also give me the people who live on those planets so that's eight unfamiliar Mm -hmm. not Englishy names. So in the I've first no- five minutes. Uh, exactly. Just thrown at you. And I literally took a picture with my phone in hopes yeah. that it would help. Yeah. And it did not. I, I mean, it started to. It did early on. Well, I mean. The problem is. Five minutes into the movie, I just asked you to pause. And I said, okay, this is. Yeah. I'm just going to regurgitate what I heard. Yeah. And then. And that that was accurate. It's just that that was whatever. Ten minutes into the movie at that point, And then more piled on. And yeah. more piled on. Yeah. And more. And. 
we're an hour and a half, hour, 40 minutes into this movie, and they're still piling on new shit, mm-hmm. new characters, new things, new places. Well, and and then it's just two hours into it, we get like, flash forward, here's two years, yeah. and this is what happened. And the couple fell in love. Like, sir, the point of movies is to show me like human relationships. Right, exactly. <laughs> like, I want to see that love build and not. Yeah. Yeah. Have, yeah, show, don't tell. Um,. Okay, so the year ten one ninety one. Yeah, honestly, I felt I felt the the only true love story in this is between Cooper and Big Ed. Oh, I was thinking <laughs> Cooper and his mom. Yeah, well, that. Too. Which, by That's the way, the... she's fourteen years older than yeah. him. Really regular motherly age. Yeah, but um, I like that the scene on top of the sandworm, like Big Ed and Cooper were ready to just start. I have going at it. so many thoughts on Big Ed's performance in this. I He did not want to be there. <laughs> oh, I disagree. Really? I thought he was taking I, such a big swing with I this sort like, of like swarthy, like but when it went Lothario ish. Like he was doing like everything they tell you in acting class not to do, where he was just deadpan flat doing nothing until it was his line and then he'd be like bah, ha, ha, and uh, like throw this big thing out see as like, a person with ADD I only look at things that are moving see, so I didn't notice that like it was things <laughs> like it to me it like felt a like there was one scene where they were flying or driving or in thing and it was him and 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 Cooper and um, Patrick Stewart and Big Ed was doing nothing deadpan and then threw out some big line about like the likes of which God has never seen or whatever, some line. And it was so huge. And that delivery. And I just kept thinking like, he's not doing like, like Patrick Stewart read the book. Kyle MacLachlan read the book. Yeah. They know where this all fits in and they're playing into this thing. You do and, nothing ever. And he was like, yeah, I read my sides. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'll be fine. I'll be, I'll do it on the day. Did you read the show the, Bible? Doesn't, oh. doesn't matter. I'll do it on the day. Like, it <laughs> I'll was find just, it. I'll find the it, voice. It just felt like he just didn't care. And that's the vibe I got. In, in a way that was glorious I really enjoyed I his it. performance. I loved it. And I think I just completely missed that he turned off when he wasn't actually talking. I mean, I, talking. it might be... I might be wrong, and that might be his like stoic choice or whatever. Like, but weird, yeah. swaggery, like foppish kind of like Britishness about him that's so deeply different from Big Ed, and it made me yeah so happy. So there were a few moments that I genuinely loved this movie, and like both ironically and unironically, mm-hmm. like the end. I don't remember what happened, but I was just like frozen with my hands yeah. over my face because just things kept happening. And I was just thrilled I, about him. I thought to myself at one point while watching this I, is that the problem with this is that I watched it as a grown adult. Okay. This feels like every fucking movie I loved when I was nine. I like the type of movies that like. I this makes no coherent sense. Mm-hmm. It's awful, but I love it because cool shit happens. Well, it was fun to watch this cool fight scene and this. Fu- and you're like, not worried about like character development and right. like I didn't care story arc. It was just scenes, and resolution. Scene connected to the next scene, connected to the next scene. And there's cool shit in this scene and too. everything that happens. Like I feel like that's how I watched. Like I used to love like Beastmaster and like all these like <laughs> terrible movies that I just like. Yeah, cool shit happens in that. Like, that's why I loved, like, Star Wars is that I didn't know – because, again, if I – if you would – like, 
to me, it's like watching Star Wars for the first time now. Mm-hmm. Not good. You watch the original Star Wars first time now? I would argue I, I've probably seen it ten times. And that's I what I mean. But it. like, most people love it because of the nostalgia, sure. and they while they were kids or while they were young. It was just this fun, wild ride. Right. And you remember that every time you see it because it does a good... If I had seen this movie when I was nine, ten years old, I guarantee I would love it. Oh, yeah. I, I was actually thinking about it. Like, to I, this day. I went in knowing, even before I knew who David Lynch was, even though, like, probably bef- early on when I met you in my 20s, I had first heard of it. Um, And I knew it was a famous failure. And I knew that, mm. like, Dune is a book and, like podcasters I listen to like there's um the adventure zone is one of my podcasts yep. that I listen to and they have a whole art it's a D&D actual play podcast and they have a whole arc that they're wearing those suits um that they mm-hmm. wear that like what also this is sidebar I might cut this out but I really want to go through like Futurama Simpsons shows that do a lot of homages mm. and watch all of the movies that they're homaging to because as soon as they had the things up their nose, mm-hmm. I immediately thought of like, oh, Futurama, when they're when <laughs> when she's a mermaid, they have those exact yeah. things that are like up in their nose that are just like a handy, yep, yep, don't worry about yeah, it. They like, can breathe they spend, underwater. Like, that's what's weird is that like, and I don't know if the book's the same way or whatever, but they spend so much time explaining shit that doesn't matter that much and don't do any time explaining things that I care about and want to see. I want to see the relationship between Paul or M- Mostaf or whatever his name is. Um, Mo Deep, Mo, Mo, what I is I keep thinking Mo Deans because that I've been watching Letterkenny. Think, I, I, I keep thinking Mostaf. Uh, uh, most, most oh, yeah, that's. But. Um, that's hipper. Most, yeah, Mostaf is. Was not in Dune, so don't get confused. But anyway, I want to know. I want to see his relations between him and um, Sean Young. Mm-hmm. I don't know her character. I don't even know her character Nobody name. Knows her character. That's right. I, like, that's not I, Jessica, is it? I only know Jessica. No, that's Jessica the, and... the woman who's the Freeman with the blue eyes that he saw in her dreams, and then met and I then he Jessica fell in love her with. Mother. It. Jessica is the mother. Oh. Oh, you were saying. I'm sorry. I, think I want to clarify who yeah. Jessica was. I you were clarifying who's Sean. I want to see the the. The relationship between them. I want to see what happens there. Yet, we get 30 seconds on how those suits work and they don't fucking matter. Yeah. We get, we get, we get information about but how they can. that's such fan service, right? We can, we can, like, what happens to your fucking feces and urine. They tell yeah, it, I don't care about way that. Over that's the... what I mean. Like, they go so deep into that, that hardcore sci-fi thing, but then, like, forget about actual interaction. Right. And, right. like. The, pr- the problem with this movie is that they tried to tell a story. And I think that if they just left this to David Lynch and Lynch said, fuck the story, uh-huh. I want to show you cool shit, that would be awesome. But I feel like they tried to connect a linear story that just wasn't fucking there. Sure. That makes sense. Um, I am confused because I... Because you just watched Dune. Correct. Um... Anyway, so I, Dune, overall, I, 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 I don't like this movie. I have, we haven't like thrown our overall opinions. I don't like. I um, this to there's me. There's things fe- in it that are great to watch in and of themselves, but as a whole, I think it's an f- absolute failure. I would never sit down and watch it again. But like, we're going to Louisville in a few weeks. I could see my like somewhere down the line, like getting stoned with Jeff and Leslie, and Jeff is like, "I love Dune," and like. Yeah, is he, he said that? No, or was but, that? but okay. like in that scenario of like, 
listen, I know this yeah. is stupid, but I, like the way I make people watch like D2 or Batman Forever or whatever of like, yeah. I know this is stupid, but it makes me extremely yeah, happy. Those are, and Those are fun and at least coherent. But the thing is, I think if you were watching it with somebody who genuinely enjoyed watching this movie, it would be yeah, a maybe. different experience. Like, I don't know if you... Yeah. I, I just... When I was in Portland last week, I had... Uh, I was with my two best friends, Lena and Amanda, and we were watching movies at night. And I bought... The ten dollar version of um, of Wicker Man, the unex- the the extended director's cut or whatever, because oh, they had the never bees? yeah with the bees, uh, so they had never seen it. For the record, she's talking about the terrible remake of Wicker not Man, the 1974 not the nineteen seventies horror classic. Yeah, 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 which I've never seen. I would like to see. Sure, um, but anyway, it was just one like I'm not going to sit down and watch Wicker Man alone in my house but like right. I will put that on when Lena and Amanda are here and we can sure, laugh and make fun sure some movies are yeah are made to be watched for but fun but I could silliness. see myself enjoying having this on while we're hanging out with friends I mean but it's background it's then background then that shit. says nothing about the movie no that's you want to hang out me, with friends no, and to then me occasionally it's, see a cool thing yeah I mean to me it's visually interesting yeah. the costumes are fun to look at yeah. it's everybody's gorgeous and white obviously so I mean if you just watch fucking Wizard of Oz, half the costumes are di- like costumes and art design is a direct rip off yeah, of, Wizard of Wizard of Oz. Like it's like all the green and like the big the co- like the way like the the all the people on Harkonnen, like the Baron and Sting and all those like where all the big fat guys are like they move around like giant fucking munchkins. And everything's oh. the big green walls and stuff. It looks... Oh, that's interesting. And it's like bright Technicolor green. Like, it looks mm-hmm. like fucking Oz. Yeah. Um. Anyway, it just feel like... I would watch this again if somebody wanted to watch it with sure. me. I, that's, mean, I guess that's yeah. what I'm trying to say. Yeah. If, if somebody suggested it the way you it's, love to watch Cutting Edge. <laughs> I love that movie. Yeah, because it's, like, it's so dumb. But Starring it's, Donna Hayward. Oh, yeah, okay, sorry. It took me a second to connect all of the Laura Flynn Boyle uh-huh. to Moira Kelly. Uh-huh. Moira Kelly? Uh-huh. Dots. Okay, I'm just going to dig into this because otherwise we'll be here for the rest oh, of our yeah. lives. We, and we have started to eat, that. We, we have to eat pizza. Um, okay, the year is 10191 AG after Guild. After Guild? Mm-hmm. What the fuck is Guild? I'm not going to click hey. on that link. Exactly. That, la- that way lies madness. Oh, the thing I was... You're just going to read the one basic summary. You're not going to click every link into every... <laughs> bullshit. I was looking it up. I'm getting... Um, I'm getting... Uh, what's the word? Conflicting. Okay. Mm-hmm. So apparently Dune is only 412 pages. Oh. Which I'm... So what I... I think the, be- the drama I was going to bang this whole time... And, and it probably still stands, um, especially if you look at, like, how they adapted um, Game of Thrones, where they, one book became an entire season. Yeah. I assumed this was, like, a doorstopper. That's what I thought. 412 pages is... Longish. Eh, kind of. Like, I'm reading a YA novel, and it's 300 and... That's what I mean. Like, it's... 300 is... But, like, I read a, a couple of the yeah, um, Outlander series, and, like, the second and third are, like, a grand each. Is, so, and there's only one Dune so book? There, no, there's Dune... So there is... The books are a series, and originally they're going to make a series of movies as well, but this lost money. Um, but that's likely what's going to happen with the Dennis Villeneuve one. I would assume, and I honestly, like, I have hope about... 
about this new movie. I think I it could too, be a fun I, I, space I, I, opera. I think it's a very capable director. <gasps> Comes out of my birthday. Oh, yeah. Yay. Um, anyway, it's just interesting that I, I guess what I was thinking was like, you know, the later uh, Harry Potter books, when they tried to adapt those, they just get too unwieldy and you have to lose plot lines, which obviously mm-hmm. they did and should have done more of. Um, and that's why they, I mean, it was a money grab, but that's also why they started doing like Mockingjay Part 1, Mockingjay Part 2 for the Hunger Games series. And could have been easily one movie. Yes, for sure. The Mockingjay Part 1 is weak sauce. Yeah. But all that's to say is my, the drama I was going to beat is like, I think he just tried to fit too much in here because he wanted to honor the book, but it's just simply too much plot, which it still could be which even at 400 I'm, pages. I, what I'm curious about is like, I know there was a lot of... Um, studio involvement and studio interjection. I want to know what the studio notes were. You know what I mean? Like what? Like was the amount of story we got because David Lynch was inhibited, or is the amount of story we got because David Lynch was allowed some freedom? You know what I mean? Like, <coughs> did David Lynch want to tell a non-linear story that was all over the fucking place, and the studio was like, "No, you have to tell the story truer to the book." Or was it the other way around? Like mm. David Lynch was trying to be true to the book, and the studio was like, "No, you gotta you don't don't include there so much or add like I don't know. I'm curious about where because you can tell this isn't a solidified vision. Mm-hmm. This isn't this is it's not is, cohesive exactly. Um, and I think there is lots of blame to go around, and I think David Lynch by his own omission probably takes on some of that blame and I think that has to do from uh, interviews I've read with him talking yeah, obviously he doesn't talk about it much but he yeah. just felt like he did not own the project in the way he needed to it was his first time with and, a big studio which yeah. he clearly was not yeah. prepared for so like what he needed to do was I mean he believe them when they said Saturn well, did everything he wanted with a razor head for seven years right you exactly. know what I mean like but what he needed what he should have done I think probably the biggest if you can point to one failing in this movie that like sort of broke the camel's back is that it sounds to me like David Lynch called their bluff when they said it needs to be two hours and 15 minutes. And he was like, I can't do that. I'm not going to do that. And then they're going to see my three hour cut and realize, of course it can't be shorter. Uh, And so he gave himself no like exit strategy of if the studios do in fact believe this cannot be. I've also always kind of gotten the impression or the idea that, David Lynch, like myself, tend to, in in a childish like way, be like, "Fine, fuck you, I don't care." When when you when mm. you try to do something and you you've got this grand idea and you mm. want to do it and this is how I'm going to do it and they say, "No, you can't do it like that." Yeah, but watch this. But look at this. Look how great it is. Yeah, you're right. I love it. Can't do that. We can't. Fine, fuck you. I don't care how it is. What you're like that? I've never. <laughs> right, but but like, I feel like that's the type. And you kind of fine, fuck you. I check out. Mm-hmm. You know, I would wager that he also has a similar resistance to being told to do things. Sure, like just a sort of a contrary, especially relating to what's in his head. Sure, and of course. But the but the thing that's strange, and like he wrote the screenplay, so um, or at least got credited for it. He did. Go ahead, and I'm gonna. What I what I'm curious him. about is, like, it's not like oh, I'm so true to this idea. It's not Twin Peaks. 
that him and Mark Frost built this world. Mm-hmm. And I, you, you, the studio, can't come in and fuck this up. Mm-hmm. It's not Eraserhead. I created this world. Mm-hmm. You can't come in and tell me what to do. He's adapting someone else's world, his story, his novel, in, in Frank Herbert's book. Mm-hmm. W- to be that connected that you would have resistance to... You know, any being told anything mm-hmm. is interesting for David Lynch because it isn't it isn't a pride thing like it is for me when I get angry about whatever. You know, it's like, well, this is what I wanted. Fuck you. It's it. I don't think it's a pride thing, or or if it is, it's a strange, misdirected pride thing because he didn't create it. You know what I mean? He put his he wants to put his vision. Like it seems like. Oh, I read the book and I saw all this in my mind, and I want to put that on screen. Mm-hmm. But you're still telling someone else's story. Yeah, and this is okay. So the Elephant Man, he wrote this. Did he write the script? He for? Co-wrote, co-wrote the script, yeah. or he got like a. I think there's three screenplay credits. Do you know off the top of your dome? Is this his? No, he worked on the script for this anyway. So this isn't his. This isn't his first adapted screenplay. It's his last, though, is it not? No. Um, what else has he adapted? Um, he he worked with Barry Gifford for Wild at Heart. And worked for Barry Gifford with Barry Gifford okay. to make to Barry Gifford wrote Sailor and Lula. I think that's what it was called. I'm looking it up. Don't worry. Initially, it was a novel that Barry Gifford wrote, but it ended up being Wild Sailor at and Heart. Lula. Yeah, it ended up being Wild at Heart. Um, oh, and they worked on it together. I didn't realize that was an adaptation. Yeah. Interessante. Um, that's cool. Yeah. Um, but that's essentially just adapted from a novel. And it's... But it's also adapted with Barry Gifford, who wrote Sailor and Lula. So it's not like it's this piece of art material or whatever exists. I'm going to do my version of it. It's, you know, Barry Gifford wrote this thing. Let's work on this together. So he, uh, Barry Gifford, is the uh, credited writer for both Wild at Heart and Lost. Is Highway. it Lost Highway too? That's what Lost I was. Highway. That's what I was curious about. I, I couldn't remember if it was one, the other, or both. City of Ghosts sounds familiar. Is another thing he wrote. City of Ghosts, two thousand two, Matt Dillon travels to Cambodia, also on the run from law enforcement, in the U.S. to collect mm-hmm. his share. No, that sounds boring. I don't know that. They really lost me at Matt Dillon. Um, so, yeah, it sounds like this is sort of a so, collaborator. Yeah. But um, yeah. the, the piece of trivia I wanted to find was um, uh, David Lynch worked on the script for six months with Eric, um, Eric E-R-I-C-H, Eric Virgin, yeah, uh, and Christopher DeVore. The team yielded two drafts of the scripts before it split over creative dis- dis- differences. Lynch subsequently worked on five more drafts. Hmm. So... Yeah, it's um Yeah, no, it I really I wish you liked it cuz I think I, this would be a more fun and this yeah. is not me criticizing you, but like I think this could be a fun like cuz before we did this, we uh did uh at the beginning of quarantine, mm-hmm. we started doing movies from my other podcast friendly atheists on the bonus feed. We mm-hmm. would do movies about people being stuck together cuz that was the whole things we're stuck together in this yeah. house and have been for I think my whole life. I don't think there's ever been a time where I didn't live in this house with you. (laughs) Um, But that kind of thing, like we watched 
House on Haunted Hill, the 1999 version or whatever it was, yeah. and just, which you hated and I loved. But like those like fun bad movies that are like fun to chat about. Sure. This just feels like oh, we're gonna I, slog through honestly, it. Honestly, I think I think the the one thing that separates it for me is that it is coming from David Lynch, mm-hmm. an elite director that I absolutely love and respect. And it's not good. When you it's, say, what it's, does elite director mean to you? Like it just, it's it's hard to. Do you mean more like a tour versus yes, like a Zack Snyder director? But like like every every other thing David Lynch has done, I genuinely think is an excellent piece of film art. Mm-hmm. And to have this one not live up to that at all mm-hmm. is a, like it's, do you feel like it's a black mark in his career yes and no okay I I think if you're only looking at the films and say this is David Lynch's film catalog and just said I'm gonna watch this one I'm gonna watch this one I'm gonna watch this and so on this one would stand out as being like well he fucked that one up mm-hmm. and yes that would be a black spot on the career or whatever but I think this was an incredibly important film for him to learn who he is as a director and what he wants to do. And what he won't do. And what I won't do and what I need to do to get out my art. Mm-hmm. Because after this, he turns around and makes Blue Velvet, which right. is iconic, David yeah. Lynch. And it's... I'm excited to and see it's, it. And it's, fuck you if you don't like it. Fuck you if you don't get it. Yeah. This is my art, and I'm putting it out That's there. That's you speaking as David Lynch, yeah. not as Mikey right. Grave. <laughs> but also, but also, fuck, fuck you. you if you don't get it. <laughs> fuck you if you don't like it. Um, so I think he needed to be backed into that wall mm. in order to give us some of that kind of stuff. Every broken road led him here, Michael. Yeah. It's a country song that my friend sang at. Her wedding. They're divorced now. Oh, good. Right. <laughs> Another broken road. Um, Just another yeah, one. I think, uh, yeah, that's exactly where... It's so so if this... Like, like I, you talk about Zack Snyder or somebody like that, like, makes bad movies, but, like, I can enjoy those as bad movies because I don't respect him as a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I don't know what, you, what constitutes elite, but it's just people that I admire and respect their craft and the, the work they put in. And how that affects the outcome of their film. Sure. And I... I I think Zack Snyder is one of those that's a weird anomaly because I think he does a lot of work and research and he's really, really passionate and I like his approach to filmmaking. Mm -hmm. His first movie is the best thing he's ever made and it's mediocre. Was that... (laughs) And it's a remake of Dawn of the Dead. It's Dawn of the Dead. And it's... Everything he's made after that is garbage yeah i like some of it like everyone hates batman versus superman and all that like yeah it's not a good movie i'll watch it i think it's really batman's that it's fine i think there's some fun stuff in there i think it's like like to me that's a dumb movie like i can't i can watch one whatever and make fun of the martha stuff like that's a movie to me that is (sighs) like you're talking about Meanwhile, that's so funny because I'm so. Meanwhile, the new Snyder Cut Justice League, I think, is one of the worst things that's ever been made. I th- hands down. I think my. I would problem. much rather watch the original Justice League. Like it sounds too like which is oh, also not good. No, 
Uh, it sound uh, what I'm gonna say is it's gonna sound too like mm, it's too mainstream, and it's not even the, that I dislike superhero movies. I am just so fucking sick of them. Yeah, yeah. yeah I yeah. am so over that, and I think I've seen just about every like Marvel universe. And it's wiping out art film, you know. And that's and the other thing is like, it's, can we you, talk about literally anything else besides these yeah, well, same you, ten actors? You got a screw. You got a theater that like, oh, this is a ju- big theater. They got eighteen screens or whatever. 16, well, twelve of them yeah. in the new fucking Avengers movie, yeah. and then. You know, which like I don't think is necessarily good or bad on its face. Like I'm pro populist entertainment. I don't think everything yeah, needs I'm, to be whatever. But yeah. like, it, it it is just such a money grab of like, oh, uh, Iron Man one made a shit ton of money. Good news, we're gonna do literally twenty mm-hmm. more of these. Well, and the the hard part too is that we're at a like stage where independent uh, film production. Um, companies are getting bought up, and all the you know, all of a sudden, sure. this oh, I like these guys are putting out some cool like, you know, eight million dollar movies, mm-hmm. you know, like low budget, but like enough to make a decent film on, you know. Like if what's you, that? Is it a ninety four? A twenty four. They're doing a lot of horror stuff, but then a twenty four has hit or miss. They have a lot of good stuff, but like like Blumhouse is the same thing. Yeah, Blumhouse, and yeah. now they're, they're just tacking their name on shit now, and it's yeah, they're becoming like Miramax was huge mm-hmm. in the '90s, and Harvey Weinstein. We're company. not gonna get into the yeah. Did you know that he adorably named Miramax after his parents? Their names are Miriam and Max. Oh, fuck that guy! I hope he's dead soon. Good. Um, Ooh, A twenty four is accepting jobs and internships. Mm. But I think, like, there was, you know, a boom in the 90s. The problem is, at the same time in the 90s, that independent film started hitting the map with auteurs, I'll say it, like Quentin Tarantino and people like that who made, I mean, if you can look it up real quick, what the budget for making Reservoir Dogs was, but very little. You know, that got put out, got distribution. It's really sweet that you thought I could spell reservoir. <laughs> um, 1.2 million is the budget. Okay, yeah. yeah. So. And Glorious Bastard, 7 million. Yeah. And yeah, $7 million is. Wait, did I say that right? 70, excuse me. Okay. Seven, seven zero. Really? Okay, that makes more sense. And I was all that really went surprised. to okay. Brad Pitt's pockets. <laughs> That's yeah, a lot true. of it. I don't I know. Mean, like, no, he, I mean. Actually, like, Brad Pitt, I feel like, is the kind of guy who's like, I think this is a good movie. I'll... Yeah, Brad Pitt seems like a good dude. Like, I love Brad Pitt because of what he's doing with his money and status. I... I If you look at all of the best, like... Well, he's supporting black filmmakers. He's a lot of black black and other... Black and brown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, he... But he's important movies. Like, not just that, you know, minority filmmakers and stuff, but, like, important movies... Brad Brad Pitt's fucking got a producer credit on fucking all of them lately. Yeah, so many good ones. Um. Anyway, I feel like we got derailed there somehow. I don't oh, are you sure? Because I've read the first line, not sentence. I, we got derailed from whatever your question was <laughs> that we were already derailed on. So uh, maybe we won't read all of the summary. Okay, but, wait. I'm just looking yeah. through recent production credits of his um irresistible minari kajillionaire at astro kid kajillionaire is great 
Last Black Man in San Francisco. Oh, that's great, too. Vice, If Beale Street Could Talk. Yeah. Um, Beautiful Boy, which I've never oh, heard Oh, Beautiful of. Boy's great. Oh, is it? That's the um, Steve Carell, Timothy Chalamet movie about heroin addiction. Oh, I've never even heard of that. Oh, it's very good. Very good. Um, but yeah, Minari, Beale Street. Also, Moonlight, the Kajillionaire. Big... I, I'll drop a note. Kajillionaire just got added to HBO Max. Watch it. It's fucking incredible. I still haven't I, seen I it. I love Kajillionaire. It was it one of my favorite movies of last year. Um, Moonlight, the big short. Yeah, exactly. Selma, Fury, 12 Years a Slave. World War Z, obviously. And only like three or four of those he was in. Right. Moneyball. Yeah. And anyway. That makes sense. You know, you're helping fund some of your own products, but projects, but he's, he's, yeah. Like he's turning this around. Good. He's not just getting on stage at a fucking award ceremony and talking some right. shit. Right. I don't, uh, I don't know. But like, I feel like the, the problem, what I, oh, that's the point I was getting at. The problem in the mid nineties, there was this boom of independent filmmaking and all, all sorts of great independent films came out in that medium low budget range mm-hmm. of you know between five and 15 million dollars and there was tons of great film out there and then the digital boom came out mm-hmm. and then every independent filmmaker everybody all of a sudden everybody thought they could make a movie mm-hmm. and so it became oversaturated with mediocre crap right um so i have more information on that that i know from the uh, i might have even mentioned on this podcast there's a podcast called 99 percent invisible which i think is amazing mm-hmm. um there's an episode that i have queued up mikey and i have a couple of road trips in front of us in the next few months so i have it queued up to listen to but it's called um when the megaplexes came i think and it's essentially about how megaplexes as opposed to single screens or you know duplexes change not just how people saw physically and emotionally saw movies Mm -hmm. but also they wanted to have as we talked about all those screens that they can show superman a gajillion times but those screens were still existing they needed content it Mm -hmm. was like it was like the 2006 content boom boom all over it again you look at all the articles netflix is making content right films you know Amazon Prime is making quote unquote oh, yeah. content. I mean, that's what I do for a living is I just create content and give yeah. it to people. It's almost art. <laughs> um, but, um, and so they're, the guy who, their guest on this has a book about um, how 1999 was the best year in films. Year in, okay. Uh, best movie year ever. Um, why 1999 was Hollywood's greatest year. Um book by Brian Rafferty. Guess what? It's also exactly 416 pages. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he does this, inter- and I, I might pick up this book or give it to you or something like that, but we'll listen to the podcast. And it's, he does an interesting connection of like, all of a sudden studios are like, yeah, I'll give $2 million to this nobody. And they ma- and it's, guess what? Charlie Kaufman. Charlie Kaufman? Yeah, what about him? Charlie Kaufman, and he made um, Being, Being John, John Malkovich. Malkovich. Who's the other famous... Co- Andy Kaufman. I get those names. Kauf- well, Charlie yeah. Kaufman wrote Being John Malkovich. Right, right. No, I understand. I, I just wanted to make sure I didn't get it. those names mixed up. By the way, I just... Speaking of Charlie Kaufman, just read the book Thinking of Ending Things, and it's... Not Steve. Did I say Steve Jones? Spike Jones. I, just, I don't think he said either. I, you, I said oh, Charlie no. Kaufman wrote 
John Malkovich, Spike Jones directed it. But I think I said Steve Jones, and I just realized I don't know why I said that. Oh. Yeah, Spike and Steve are really. Well, I was thinking it's Steve James, who's the documentary. Anyway, we're anyway, pretty good at this podcasting uh, but, thing. But what I was getting at more so too was like the be, like it was uh, you know I mean, you can almost pinpoint it down specifically to Blair Witch Project mm. being a nothing to make movie mm-hmm. and made millions, and that's all profit, and so studio production studios everywhere were popping mm-hmm. up being like we can do that right we can and now now digital is everywhere mm-hmm. yeah we'll make a bunch of digital fucking movies and then it just flooded the market with garbage so mm-hmm. then it made it separated the big f- disney productions and right. shit and then occasionally you get some good independent digital films and stuff but like and now digital is more and more and more common it's you know rare to have a filmmaker making film but it's it's interesting because it's how do you feel about that about are we flooded the market with mediocre art it makes it really hard for good artists to rise to the top i think there's a lot of like i mentioned kajillionaire i think miranda july is an incredible filmmaker Mm mm-hmm most people don't even know that name. I don't. I'm looking at it exactly. Right now. She did like me, you, and everyone we know, which I've is great. Um, but things like that, like, and then even that, even when you get, you turn around, you get like Chloe Zhao, who just made No Man Land, right? And everyone was like, "This movie is incredible. It's unique. Mm-hmm. It's different. It's got a great, bold perspective. It's an incredible movie." now she's going to make a Marvel movie. Mm-hmm. And yeah, she'll bring some of those sensibilities, but it's still owned, operated, and run by Kevin fucking Feige. Mm-hmm. And she's going to be inhibited. And it's... She's not going to turn down that fucking money and shit. I mean, you don't know. She could, but but she's making an, a new fucking Marvel movie, and it's oh, she actually is. That's yeah, she's oh, making. Oh, I'm sorry, the I thought you were saying hy- hypothetically. No, she she, she oh, made I'm No Man Land, won a fucking Academy Award. Uh-huh. It's an incredible movie, and now our next project is Eternals, which is an MCU movie. And it's, oh, it's a movie. I thought it was a show. It doesn't matter. It's um, but it's just so like you when you when you do finally get a good filmmaker. To break out of the pack because they've just got strong visions mm-hmm. and ideas and concepts and everything, they get swept up by the the big boys. Mm-hmm. So you never have that reign you had in the '90s of like Quentin Tarantino and Kevin Smith and Spike Jones. Yeah, so. all these great, young, unique, different, edgy filmmakers—they're mm-hmm. gone because it's either and I think everyone who thinks they can do it or they get swept up by Disney or whatever. And I think specifically, um, the what, what's her name? The director who directed, um, 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 the one we were just Chloe Chow. Chloe Chow. Um, it also is an interesting complication. I'll call it that she's a woman of color, and the MCU is famously fairly white and male and and that's the problem too is that i feel like it almost adds to it because it's it seems less like they're even there was famously a thing a little while back but it seems like they they brought her on board less for her capabilities Mm -hmm. 
and more for the fact that she is a woman a of color. Woman of color yeah. And oh, but but she's been successful, so we, we're safe to bring her on. Mm-hmm. But they like famous. There was a quote somebody was talking about where Kevin Feige, who's like the producer of all the MCU and oversees all of it, was showed some dailies or whatever from Eternals to studio heads or whatever. And he was like, that's all she did. This is all in camera. That's on that look. None of that is CGI. Like so befuddled by the fact that like filmmakers know how to film shit. Yeah. Like, like it's just, yeah, I'm, I'm getting really, really tired of CGI in general. Like clean things up, make, you know, Chris Nolan is going to, you know, flip a, fucking semi truck on the cell drive or whatever yeah and you know remove the cables and post but like you did the thing you know that shit's cool to watch and you can tell you can tell when something is on film and when they're on digital Mm -hmm. and granted or lynch works in digital and will never go back to film and loves it Mm -hmm. and i think he's doing really interesting shit with the digital Mm mm-hmm the problem is people are just using it as a cheap alternative, and yeah. I don't think it's they're not they're not doing what you could or would like. You're not it's it's make another take, another take, another take, another take, instead of like you know what and and you're Can I lo- make a comparison. You, you're you're losing specialties like a director of photography who's there. There's that moment when they film a scene, and the director's like, I like the performances I got looks at the fucking director of photography and says, did you get it? Did we get it? Mm-hmm. And he's got to say yes or no. Mm-hmm. And if it's on film, they don't know. Mm-hmm. He's got to say, I have faith in my crew. And, my, and like, yes, mm-hmm. we got it. This is it. We can move on. Instead, it's just like, let's do another mm-hmm. one for, for safety. safety. And it's it ruins that like importance of certain roles. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What were you saying? You were I mean, I, I, my brain works almost exclusively in metaphor. And what the CG thing makes me think of is like when I was younger and I was learning how to use makeup <laughs> and you use concealer, like I have a zit here. So I would put concealer on it. And when I was 13 or whatever, I was like, I should just put concealer on my whole face. It's the fucking Instagram filters that people are putting I mean, on yeah, things But that now, seems yeah. to be like CG instead of like, oh, I'm going to touch up some things or like purposefully create a look yeah. for myself yeah. versus like, well, if my whole face is the same color, that's the best possible face, there's, right? Like, and it a, just loses any artistic in, merit. I don't remember if it's Justice League or Batman Super, one of those where it's Henry Cavill talking to Amy Adams in a cornfield. And the cornfield is entirely CGI. And obviously CGI. You can't fucking find a cornfield somewhere yeah. to shoot this scene. It's not even like you have to like, oh, well, we kind of had to shut down Come Times to Square. Illinois. We have corn they, everywhere. They, they did film in Illinois. Oh, That's yeah. where the house, the, the townhouse oh, is. Yeah. It's in southern Illinois. Like, the shit is available to you. They like the default is CGI now, and then oh, if oh, we have to do something practical, we will. Or if we can do it, and cheaply. I hate it. So if you're that, I hate. Can you put yourself in Zach Snyder's? What? I spit my fucking beer out. Uh, At what? Am I am I snack snack snar? I said Zach Snyder. <laughs> Uh, Zack Snyder. Yep. Zack Snyder. 
so put yourself in Zack Snyder's shoes. Obviously, you have different artistic sensibilities, so like, don't get too lost in a bit. But if you're Zack Snyder and you're pro CGI, or David Lynch and you're pro CGI, what are you saying? I am willing to use CGI for this cornfield and have it look a little shitty and like a little chintzy and a little fake. So I can spend my money doing this, or I can spend my time doing this. What do you think that answer? They're not. Is? They're not. It's. It's not a. This is our budget. We want to save some cut corners on this budget so we can use it elsewhere. It's let's shrink the budget as much as we can so that we can make as much make as much can. profit. It's all capitalism. It's not yeah. redistribution of wealth. Yeah. It's just all. If we can make like if we shot this all practically and did all this, this would be a three hundred million dollar movie. Mm-hmm. We do it on CG. It's a hundred million dollar movie. All of a sudden, we just made two hundred million dollars. Right, just off the top. You know, like it's that's the problem with it. Is it's it's not an integrity move, or it's not a mm-hmm. move this so that we can get this actor that we really think is great for the role, or right. anything like that. It's it's simply if it's cheaper to make, cheaper is better. Because the new whatever Marvel movie, a new Disney movie, is always going to make a boatload of money right? Let's regardless of whatever. So they're going to get their money back and then all it does is increase the, you know, return on investment gap. Sure. Uh, yeah. No, and I get, like, I get it for, I remember when I learned um, there's a lot of, like, TV shows that fake city streets or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, like, that makes sense because they're putting out 20 episodes a year sure. A lot of that is time and right, yeah, exactly. And just that's hard moving to, people around. Yeah. But if you're making a movie, I remember that was a thing in Chicago. Like ER in the '90s used to come to Chicago once a year oh, and all do their outdoor shit, all of their B-roll shit, and uh-huh. do a bunch of like, we need one shot of these two. We just need for George epi- Clooney waving at them. Yeah, at and the, somebody uh, in front Tower. of a yeah, and they do, they would come in and do like once Shameless does it same way. Like, but mm-hmm. they film mostly in California. Mm-hmm. Like. They just, there. We need we need to have some scenes there because mm-hmm. it's a character. The mm-hmm. Chicago is an environment character, um, and they'll do that. But most of it is just on sound, and that's TV. TV is different. They need to turn right. out content quickly, and, right? And that's what I'm saying. Is yeah. like I get it for yeah. Oh, we just need a city street for this one scene, and we're not going to fucking go to New York City mm-hmm. um, and shut down a block. But uh, you know, you're Zack Snyder making a Superman movie. Yeah. But like, go to the field. How fucking cool is it that like Cameron Crowe shut down Central fucking or no, no um Times fucking Square so that he could have Tom Cruise mm. run up the street and stop and look around for a minute on film, mm-hmm. not digital, on film so that he could do this weird trippy dream sequence at the top of the of Vanilla Sky. Mhm. Don't love that movie or whatever it's got. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. But the fact that this all, like, that scene is amazing. And it, you can feel it. it you, exactly. Like, there's a feel to film. There's a feel to practicality mm-hmm. that just isn't there mm-hmm. with digital and CGI. And it's, I, I, want, I, don't, do you, I don't hate filming digital versus filming film as much. I prefer film and, and when you can see someone the the difference is usually like the person who films in film still is also a purist in other areas. Sure. 
So it, it trickles it's not the down. The film that looks good necessarily. Right. right. It's the fact that it trickles down into all sorts of minute details that some of which you can identify and some of which are just there and you can't pick up on it, but it, you just kind of know it, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I wonder if, so my big problem with CGI and I'm going to talk about the 2019 version of Cats for some reason, uh, which Mikey has I, I watched mean, with me. That is, I mean, I think it that's is, peak CGI. Yes. That's, I think, I think it Cats, doesn't, that's the best CGI you're ever going to get. Nothing is wrong in that movie. All of it, it, it might as well have been practical and on film because you can't tell. Jessica, I'm being sarcastic. Will you fill up my wine more when yes. you get more beer? Um, so my main problem, so, okay, background, I don't know if I've talked about Cats before on this, um, but Cats is genuinely, not ironically, one of my favorite musicals. I've seen the 1999 DVD version 12 million times approximately. Um I am a, you know, a dancer and a singer, and to me, Cats showcases both of those art forms as well as any other musical. I understand why people hate it. But, so the 2019 one came out, and I was, I heard all the bad reviews. Everyone's like, it's terrible. Very dope, Mikey. Just crack that beer right in the mic. Oh, it looks like you were like, yeah. Um... Everyone said, oh, my God, it's so bad. And I was like, well, everybody thinks Cats is bad. It's the most successful. For a long time, it was one of the most successful shows on Broadway, so it can't be that bad, all right? A, a little bit of that is irony, though, right? A little bit of it is like, this show is insane. You got to go see it. Right? I, I think Broadway is too expensive for irony. <laughs> Except, no, no. Reduc- redo that. Um Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark was famously an ironically <laughs> or erotic thing to watch. Yeah. Um, no, I, I don't think... I, I think genuinely it was a show that people who didn't like or get musical theater could sit for two hours and watch a show. It was very... It's very much like a review show from the 1920s. And it was, and it was the 80s. Well, it was the 80s. Everyone was on Coke. <laughs> That's what I mean. So everyone yeah. was like, fucking great. Um, so the new one com- came out and I was like, oh, everybody's saying it's bad. But like, just, you have to, you have to accept that there is no plot here. You just have to accept you're going to listen to a series of songs and watch some fun dances of some very talented people and enjoy yourself for two hours and then go home and you won't have learned a lesson except mm-hmm. for, you know, touch Grizabella, which I think everybody learned. Obviously you did. Yeah, well, all the time. Um, so I saw Cats 2019 and boy, oh boy, what a trash heap that movie is. I've seen it probably five times. What's the take on Toby Hooper? No. Tom uh, Hooper. Tom Ho- to- Who's Toby Hooper? <laughs> is that just like a guy you went to junior high with? Toby, Toby Hooper is the guy who made Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can't. I, I'm mixing up my names today. And yeah, I don't know why. Maybe because yeah. you're drinking beer instead of wine. It's really know. screwing up uh, your. But, but I'm like, yeah, like when I said Steve Jones. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> not Toby Hooper. Because this isn't the new Cats. Isn't the same person who did the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Correct. correct. Okay, just wanted to make sure. Um, but what's are people? Because to- Tom, <laughs> Tom Hooper did Les Mis, right? Mm-hmm. The movie version of Les Mis and Chicago? No. No. Just. Just like, There was another in big terms musical of, movie adaptation he did, right? I thought. Um, I think those were his two main ones. As far I thought as, there was I, another I, one. And it, are people, 
in the musical community receptive of it like this guy is good and this this movie was the dune or was it like we nobody likes tom hooper anyway he's Zack snyder the, um okay i'm so glad you asked me oh, this okay. because guess what i have a lot of thoughts on tom hooper and but are your thoughts communal thoughts or just well own? okay i want to be clear that like i like i said i was a singer dancer i was in like college and shit like that I am not a professional on any stretch um as far as I can see Mikey those were his only two um okay um what's it called I thought he had another one but I guess he did like John Adams Mm. King's Speech The Danish Girl um anyway so can I just like do this for five minutes and just talk to you about the difference between Les Mis and Cats because it's really all I've ever wanted to do. Oh my god, I'm so excited. Okay, so. We've, not, we've said very little about Dune. I don't care. This is, honestly. We'll tell the story and we'll then we'll jump back into some semblance of Dune. We definitely won't get sidetracked after my story. <laughs> um, okay, so while Les Mis did work on a lot of levels. I would argue most levels. I think it was a successful film overall. um, Tom Hooper's choices that he made somewhat worked in Les Mis. And then he moved those choices through to Cats and Mm. they desperately didn't work. Example? For example. um, for, uh, For Les Mis... Generally, uh, when um, what's his face, Hugh Jackman, Hugh Jackman, Wolverine, uh, Wolverine. Wolverine. I for some reason I could the guy next to me on my flight out to Portland was watching The Greatest Showman, and oh. I was like, I just wanted to be like, this is bad, right? But he seemed to enjoy it, so I didn't want to ruin it for him. And I was cross stitching, and I felt bad that I was constantly like doing this to him when I was so that didn't work on a podcast. I was so in, and so like my hand would get near him, and anyway. But he was watching that, and I just kept sneaking glances. It was great. So what he did um, with with Hugh Jackman is that gave him sometimes a piano, but he would do a live piano accompaniment. I know that was the big thing about it is that they did live recording of their singing. Here's the important part. There is a difference between live recording, which, say, um, Hamilton was a live recording. Every voice you hear on the, the movie. The thing, well, it's not a movie. It's just the filming regardless, of the play. But that yeah. is a live performance. Sure. Everything sure. it live performance in you're, you're taking potentially different moments from multiple live performances and cutting yes, them together, but but yes. the way Tom Hooper sees sees live quote unquote live singing is you get to play with the phrasing. You get to play with the rhythm. You get to play sure. with the key, okay. which is a thing that a trained professional singer could do with an accompanist who gets them. Okay. And they've been doing this for a long time. What you can't do is just start singing a song in a key that you've seems to have picked at random, sing the whole thing, and then... Five months later, ask a full orchestra to follow Hugh Jackman's vocals along. Oh, so he, so they recorded the live singing with, on the set. I know that. Okay, but there was no music being played for them. Um, to- it, it, it depended, and okay. and I don't. And I'm I'm not pretending I'm an expert in this, but sometimes no. there was a live pianist. A lot of times it was like right. remote in, um, but 
So essentially, so when um, Hugh Jackman has an interview that he talks about this. So um, there's a song in Les Mis that's sort of his soliloquy. And he says, what have I done, sweet Jesus? What have I done? Become a thief in the night? Oh, become something in the night? Become a thief on the run? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he was, and he says in this interview, like sometimes you want to sing it like, what have I done, sweet Jesus? What have I done? But sometimes you want to do like, what have I done? Sweet Jesus, what have I done? Become a thief in the night. Become a something on the run. And like, that's fine. Except for then a conductor has to watch his live vocal performance with no rhythm to it and make his team of 20 or 40 or 80 (laughs) professional musicians follow along and that's just not how it works yeah that's not how it works that's not how it works when you're a dancer and it's not how it works when you're a singer your conductor is your leader right right so and and a vocalist is part of the orchestra correct <laughs> they're not i mean obviously they're quote-unquote star in a lot of ways but like they but they should still be following the little fucking stick oh yeah, boy you has. know why because there's 80 other people in the cast and the crew who need to play and sing along with you and you can't just make shit up because that's not how live music works it works when there's four guys on a stage playing punk it does not work when you have a 60 piece orchestra like the fucking London Symphony Orchestra we got three chords yeah exactly you guys if you're on C, G, or D you're fine (laughs) that was a music joke nailed it um, okay, so does that do you understand? I mean, what the live scene kind of, meant to I know is? very little about music and music theory, right? But I'm trying whatever, to make it pretty. I get plain I, clothes. I yeah, I I understand that there's a difficulty that he created that didn't need to be there for because but, what's what's the advantage? A, a, a quote unquote natural performance, okay. which is there's listen. Uh, they did it in Moulin Rouge. They sang a lot of shit live, but with they had an yeah. earpiece and had the fucking soundtrack playing in their ears, yeah. and they're singing along with their fucking selves because that way they can stay on key and stay on tempo and keep it up. So the reason it, the reason Tom Hoover got away with it in Les Mis is because Les Mis is a it's more of an opera than anything else. Mm-hmm. It is. Um, and, and you can see, and it works really well when he does group scenes because they can't do that. They can't let Hugh Jackman just like really play with the melody. You need to. They're stay essentially an orchestra. Exactly, they're a vocal orchestra. Exactly. Um, so that helped those those at the end of the days those really tied it together, and they were great, and they were gritty. And why are you, sm- are you smirking I'm, at me? I'm just. I, you just talked about the big group performance, and all I can think of now is the Key and Peele sketch. Oh yeah, no, it's very good. <laughs> I thought you were about... just smiling because you really enjoyed me talking about no, something I, I was I passionate like, about. I, the key and peel. You didn't even let me finish my thing. Other. It was fine. The key and peel are very funny. So the reason that worked is because there's a lot of solos. It's cut together in a lot of ways. Um, it's a lot of overlaying tracks. So mm-hmm. when you have counterpoints, so things like um, uh, God, I cannot think of any song names right now. But the the Valjean and Javert. Um, um, the first time they meet over Fa- uh, Fantine's deathbed, they do this counterpoint thing, which means they're singing two different melodies mm-hmm. that that link together. Mm-hmm. So you can get away a little bit more with that, right? Like I can kind of play with my melody, it is, but as long as we say Javert at the same time, like the effect is working. Mm-hmm. And that works. And also Les Mis takes place in like 18th century France. God, I hope it's 18th century It's a gritty story by its nature. Mm -hmm. It's about poor, destitute, Mm -hmm. miserable people. So you kind of get a true-to-life version. I thought Les Mis was a really faithful adaptation because it 
felt like they were trying he was trying to dig into like what the original novel which I've also read was about right yeah. so that's why that worked yeah however you come to Cats hmm. Cats is the opposite of Les Mis in almost ev- still 18th century France though right? still 18th and, century and France. actually Bore it's 19th and- century England oh what? what yeah I think it's Edwardian and it's their Regency poor and fighting for bread and yeah whatever. they're all wearing pins about French Revolution mm-hmm. and apparently Les Mis isn't about the French Revolution but some like smaller revolution afterward and people love to be shitty about that online anyway so a French Revolution and French Revolution so you get to uh, to Katz Katz is not Les Mis Katz is not we're telling a story a real story a gritty story a human story through the medium of song. Mm-hmm. Cats is, on the contrary... A fever dream. A celebration oh, of song okay. and dance. Okay. Um, when I said the thing about... Delivered as a fever dream. When I <laughs> said the thing about everybody has to follow the conductor, uh-huh. it comes from my ballet days. Is where, it like following a laser pointer? Like <laughs> yeah, I'm like a cat in my tutu. Like, yeah! Um, no, I never wear a tutu. Um... No matter how I've trained, no matter how I've learned this dance, the conductor is my guide. And yeah. if he's doing it half time, you've seen that thing you do. If somebody does it in a different tempo, there's one person who makes that choice and everybody just has to keep uh, keep up. Uh, I was just, I couldn't place the scene you were talking about. But do you remember now? Yeah, yeah. So they used to do it. It's too slow. It was too slow. And too so he's, it's too fast. It's too fast. And so the, the drummer yeah. starts playing it double time. Yep. And it was good. I like that. One. Oh, it's a great movie. Yeah. But but that's an, yeah, yeah, another yeah. example of like one person is the driver. Is it the drummer? Is it the conductor? Is it whatever? Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, cats. The is problem a- is the one now. Now the delivery is that the one person who's the driver is allowed freedom to do whatever the fuck they want. Yeah, they don't believe in lanes or yeah, so, <laughs> or highway directions. Yeah, exactly. Um, so when you come to uh, so when you come to Cats, Cats is a dance-driven show. Mm-hmm. Its primary thing is to showcase dance. Secondary is song, is my opinion. Right. So Taylor Swift. I honest. Because <laughs> nothing says dance like Taylor Swift, Judy Dench. Honestly, Dench, I personally McKellen, love both but... Idris Elba and Taylor Swift as just like general human beings. I think Taylor Swift is... Like, problematic in some ways, but I think she writes pop songs like nobody in the generation. Yeah. Does she write her own song? I don't know. Oh, yeah, yeah. Does she's she? famous. Good. Like, she started as a songwriter Good. Good for when her. she was, like, 16 or whatever. Um, and she's a fine singer. She's not a great singer. She's a fine singer. So that's when she's alive. She's a little garbage. But she is not a dancer. I would say aggressively not a dancer. Is she, the thing she's lanky and awkward. And, super and that, lanky, that super plays awkward. even when she's not trying to dance. Like, oh no, just, she's just all limbs. Just seeing and, her. And I thought she had kind of gotten through that because she's in her late twenties, maybe early thirties now. Nineteen ninety six, so she's probably about to turn thirty. Um, but she's just tall. She's very tall and very it's the lanky. Same, she's like, all my, limbs. My old friend, old roommate, her brother is six ten, six eight, something Jesus. like that. Uh, and every time it's like, like his problem was like in high school and stuff he'd get picked for the basketball team and he was horrible at it because he's just too fucking tall I, I can't control these limbs so like 
they keep trying to like recruit me for the basketball team, but I can't play I can't basketball. Both I, yeah, the same I'm, time. I'm, I'm, I'm gangly and yeah. awkward, and I don't, I'm not good at this. Yeah. So her thing is, she and Idris Elba were paired up, and while they are both very talented at the things they do, they were both extraordinarily bad at this particular thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, I think Cats was a failure on virtually every front, mm-hmm. and I. Can't can't say this enough. I've seen it probably five or six times. Um, so anyway, so so back to the music. So when we get to cats, when you add in choreography, and not just the kind of choreography that they do in Lame is that it's like stand here and cross stage here, which can be it's meant to look quote unquote natural. Cats is a dance show. Yeah. So you know what's really important to dance? Dance. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where you want me to go with this. Rhythm. Oh, 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 oh. Is that right? Yeah, someone say it's pretty foundational to both music and dance. Huh. So. So. When you're watching. You know what else is important? Tell me. Spice. Gotta have spice. I'm not done telling my thing. We can't go back to Dune yet. I'm not done with my thing. No spice. No spices. Sporty spice. Baby spice. Didn't spice kind of look like seasoning salt? Let's so talk anyway. about rhythm and dancing. Rhythm is going to get you. Let's go. Well, okay. So essentially um, what you see, so the, the scene I'm thinking, and I also want to say, um, I'm going to link it in the notes, but there is a, um, a YouTube review of it from a musician mm. um, who I'm kind of cribbing a lot of this from, but he did a very good job of like putting the flaws into, into words. And he had those, those interviews with Tom Cooper, Hooper. Cooper. Tom Hooper and and Australian guy, which Hooper I think Dooper. were maybe just off. We're gonna the... start a new podcast after this called Hooper Duper, where we only talk about Tom Hooper movies. <laughs> I thought you were gonna want to start a new podcast called what's that guy's name? No, Hooper where is du- he from? Hooper Duper, and we Hooper only Duper watch Tom, Tom Hooper, Hooper movies, movies, and then, then we'll maybe branch out into Toby Hooper movies. Is he the guy from? He's the guy we just talked about who did Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh yeah, I remember him now. So essentially, it just comes down to. You can I mean, it's all the same thing. You cannot sculpt an orchestra around a vocalist. That's just simply not how music works. It's it's absolute. It's not like music, like when you're writing music and lyrics, and some people come with a melody, and then the lyrics fill in, or vice versa. Mm-hmm. It is not that. Those two things have to be like fucking locked, and everybody on stage has to be on and the same level. And you're not talking about a three, four, five piece band. You're right. talking about but twenty five percent. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then when you add dance onto that, all of a sudden, how do you, how, the thing is if like, I sing a song differently every time, how do you find the rhythm in that? The, the thing too is like, even beyond like the, what do you rehearse to? the technical aspect of the rhythm and stuff, I feel like when I watched 2019 Cats, it wasn't even dancing. Oh, actually, like, that's... It's, it's like running around in like a weird CGI space where they would like slide across it. To, and it's dance adjacent. Yes. But it wasn't like dance. Like there's a couple of scenes where there was like a big Skimble Shanks is the only successful There's a, There's a couple that. of dance. Yeah, remembers. But like I feel like it's them like jumping on a, a counter and then they jump to the table. I'm like that's and the dance size adjacent. Is yeah. But it's not really dancing. Well, and I think it is Tom... Hooper, 
Matt Cooper, deeply misunderstanding what people like about musicals. Um, and or cat, more specifically cats. I with cats. I, I know, I would argue that, that Lamez was a more or less successful film. I don't think it was perfect. It's what I mean. Like, I think he misunderstands what. But but I'm but I think he took all of the wrong lessons from Lamez ah. and applied them all to Cats, and then thought, oh, well, I did a musical, I can do another musical. How different can they be? And they they simply couldn't be more different. Yeah. And you cannot. And, and so it's it's a few things. It's the music, the way he does it. Um, in the in this video, um, they use uh Jenny Any Dots as sort of the example of how Rebel Wilson just sort of plays with the melody which is fun if she's doing like a stage cabaret and like Mm -hmm. fucking around but there's a thousand you know a hundred thousand dollars worth of CGI happening around her so we all need to like be on the same page and go to this march um so part of that is so so that's part of why I think it failed the other thing thank you Mikey for bringing me back on track so we can definitely get back to Dune in a second is that um, Tom Hooper does not know how to film dance. Sure. Film, filming dance is not easy. Um, I would argue Gene Kelly was a master of it. I think, honestly, the people at Say Anything Can Dance hit or miss. I don't think they're always really great at it, but also they have, they're doing a live production, I, too, the, which is a different... I, it, seem, like, it seems counterintuitive or whatever, but the key is just... Step back. Film their space. Yep. Yeah. Like Take a big shoot step back. Medium or wide or both. And if there's something really intri- intricate in the footwork that you mm-hmm. want to have an insert close up of, show maybe part of it, but yeah. let them let yeah. them perform. I, I and like I that's th- why so musicals were so popular in the forties, fifties. One big is, wide shot. Is they didn't they weren't doing cutaways and inserts and B roll and mm-hmm. second unit direction and mm-hmm. whatever. Like you were, you're going to do it. You dance. We're, we're basically filming plays. Oh, 100%, you know, like 100%. let them do that. And then you can really appreciate what's being. Yeah. And, and it shows that like, it's like, it's like filming a, a fight scene, a good choreographed fight scene. Like if show you, the, if show you off show the some big wide shot or like steady cam shot mm-hmm. that these people are doing it, then you realize like, Oh shit, this is cool. These people are doing this. Rather than the like rapid cut, rapid cut, rapid cut, mm-hmm. where you're insert, boom, fist, boom, foot, knee, whatever. And they can and easily close swap ups, in. And they just swap in everything. You can't really tell what's happening, but they're fighting. Is it stunt doubles? Is it whatever? Yeah. And yeah. they just cut in all that stuff yeah. and you can't really tell what's happening. It's so much cooler if you can shoot those things wide mm-hmm. and let the action play out in front of you. Yeah, off the top of my head, uh, you Daredevil see moments did a great like, job even, with even in, even in Dune, there's a moment... When when Cal McLaughlin is fighting the robot thing, um, like the training robot or whatever, he does like some cool dive roll shit that like is like a medium shot, and you're like, I can see his face, I can that see him Cal McLaughlin doing dive that, okay. over the thing and then pop up, mm-hmm. and he doesn't go out of frame. He does. It's not a cowboy switch or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Kyle McLaughlin is doing that. Right. Awesome. Yeah, I love seeing dope. that shit. Give me that. Right. Dance is the same way. Yeah. So um, to, to sort of bring this home a little bit as much as one can do in this garbage story that I'm telling, um, <laughs> there is a, a magic, a magic to both dance, and, and I don't like fighting very much. I don't, eh, like sometimes I think it's cool to watch, but, but in general, really intru- I'm not, when like, you see choreographed fighting, it's dance. Oh, 100%, 12,000%, yes, absolutely. And like, but, a, they could very well be on a metronome 
mm-hmm. doing that. Well, because they know? train the same way dancers exactly. do. It's the same, it's choreography. And it's, it's all repetition, same shit. and right. it's yeah, it's muscle memory, as Leslie and I always talk about. Um, yeah, but uh, so the beauty of dance to me is that you have a human being on a regular floor doing extraordinary shit. So, when in a lot of a lot of how I how you gauge quote unquote good dancing versus bad dancing, it has a lot to do with like how they hit the floor. Are they skimming across the floor? Or are they like every like every time <laughs> they do a cool jump and they land yeah. like yeah. this? Um, and but but and I realized after I saw cats, it's not just that. It's sort of about like how they're working with gravity, if that makes sense. How they're, like, doing a big dive roll and rolling into that and using that momentum to do another thing. And, like, mm-hmm. it's momentum and it's using the space and it's being physical. And it's, and it's, yeah, I mean, I we've compared this a million times, you and I, but I grew up skateboarding and snowboarding mm-hmm. and shit. And style is an important factor. You can have someone do the same jump, board flip, twist, but like, where are your shoulders? Are your shoulders back? Where are your arms? Are they? How are your How are your arms back? Like, I remember the first time I it's ever horseback riding too. Filmed myself skateboarding, and I realized that like, when I jump down big thing, when I go downstairs or off a big ledge or something like that, when I when I jump, my arms go behind me. Oh, interesting. And I was like, gotta change that. Like, is it counterbalance? That, like, I would jump, and like, when you jump, and your arms go up instead oh, sure. of going up. With like my elbows out wide and uh-huh. flat in a balanced position, mm-hmm. I would throw them behind me in this weird way, mm. and it looked awful. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those that was like, "Well, I can try to do the same trick, but like my focus was now less on what my board was doing and more on like, don't make it look stupid. Yeah, don't look like an ass. Like it's one thing to be like, yeah, you guys both did the same awesome trick that's incredibly difficult." Mm-hmm. Yours looked really bad yeah. when you did it. And like, it's because you throw your body in a weird way or whatever. Yeah. If you yeah. put a gun to my head, I could do fuete turns. They would look like garbage trash. <laughs> it would be embarrassing. Yeah. Um, so when you so when you kind of lose the, uh, not even the gravity, but just like the four walls of where you're working in a, in a dancing space, as mm-hmm. soon as you lose that, everything looks really weightless. Which then makes it look, I don't know, fake is right the the right word, but stupid. It just looks, it looks fake. Well, like why would I be why would I be impressed with somebody who can do a backflip standing if somebody could do that same thing with the CGI? Well, obviously the actual backflip looks better than like yeah. somebody CGI sure. thing. And there and we can all acknowledge that it's hard to put your finger on why. But sure. there's something about, like, I can tell when somebody's faking shit. Yeah. yeah. And for dance, it feels so, I don't know if cheating is the right word, but just, like, shortcuts or whatever. Like, it just wasn't cool to... It's, so the dancing It's one failed. thing to do this move, moving into this move, moving into this move, then to isolate that into three separate shots, too. Like... You start editing things, and all of a sudden, it's also, I think it's not the, the choreography same. was like fuck. Well, and I think uh, I, I didn't like the choreography, and and with the exception genuinely of skim, skimble shanks, which they turned into a tap number, which I love tap. I can't do it. I have no rhythm. Um, but I think the best example of Tom Hooper's misunderstanding of how CGI translates to dance comes in Les Twins, which is. <clears throat> 
excuse me, uh, they are, of, I think they're French. Yeah, it's a pair of French dancers or these guys who are, and they're... And that's a like a song from Cats or something? I'm sorry. It's I don't know what just genuinely a, a human pair of people who are professional dancers who are in cats okay. as just sort of like, oh, we're getting like twins who are this like famous pop and lock French oh, pair of oh, brothers. Oh, these are real people. These are actual in... human professional okay, dancers got it, got it, got it, who were cast into cats. Got it. Um, and they're very widely known as extremely talented. Um, I think they're mostly pop and lock is their sort of jam. Okay. Like breaking. Um, so they put them in, and everybody was like fucking stoked about this because oh, they're putting real legitimate dancers into this. Um, and the thing with with hip hop dancing in general, and I would say popping, locking, breaking too. If there's no sense of gravity, then you, nothing you do looks cool because they do a lot of really intricate footwork. But so like, think of like Michael. J- okay, think of are, Michael. Were, I don't. I don't understand this. Where CJ like. Were they not doing that? They were, were, were they but doing they were shit doing on cables it, or some shit? No, no, no. But they were doing it on a green screen. And so when they drop them into whatever this Victorian London street thing is. You don't see the floorboards move and shit the right way and stuff. Is that what you're getting at? I mean, basically. It, it's, it just has to do with like. Okay. There's one moment in the movie. And honestly, it might be sound driven. There's one moment in the movie. You're distracted by the CGI and. Well, it just looks like they're kind of floating. Okay. Which, when you're doing, like, think of a moonwalk and, like, how cool that looks. And if somebody was just, like, doing that seemingly... Oh, a Michael Jackson. Like a Michael okay, Jackson okay. moonwalk. Somebody's doing that... Neil Armstrong. <laughs> seemingly sort of, like, just sort of floating. Sure. It loses some of its cool factor. Yeah, the beauty is that you seem like you're floating, but in reality. Exactly. Yeah. But these guys... So okay. these guys do a lot of that kind of, that kind of footwork... Yeah. But with no gravity, it just sort of looks like they're moving their feet around because they don't have the weight. It's just, it's hard to explain I, until you see but it. But yeah, it doesn't look right. Right. Like, and anyway, yeah. like, Crutch and Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Like, you know the difference between... My complaint with, um, with um, Jess Jones, Jessica Jones, was mm. always that, like, it didn't look like the movements she was making would generate something flying right. that far away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's not to say, oh, she was too skinny or whatever. It just like when you see somebody's arm move this fast and then something like explodes off their hand, like that's not how physics works. Yeah, that, need, she, there would be some recoil. Yes, and some exactly. Counter, yeah. You need to make it look like yeah. you've actually done that thing. So that's, um, I, I don't, God Lord knows how an hour ago we got into this topic, but like that's sort of the thing with, with, CGI and that I noticed a lot and this is like especially God when they're riding the worm at the end and they're just like all sort of swaying like <laughs> yeah. they're on a fucking yeah. pirate ship like it's it's chintzy looking and it yeah. and it takes and, away and from granted, the this is the if we're if we're coming back to Dune then I take it yeah yeah I thought okay. I circled around it pretty neatly sure, but yeah, you pointed beautiful. it out I, and it, now it, here we are it's almost like we didn't even have a tangent um, or a 20 minute break where we ordered pizza yeah but we <laughs> Um, like the CGI in this is it's 1984 so it's quite good for 1984 it looks hokey as fuck now I disagree really there, there are like obviously some, some of, things that some look of like it is better shit. than others but like I thought okay the beginning and I do not understand who this creature was supposed to be the guy in the big 
David Lynch looking medical metal tube, black metal tube. Yeah, thing. that yeah. is just like a big. That's a very David Lynch. It looks Lynch like a looking... giant lung with a mouse. Right. Um, yeah. I I do not. And then when know. it was like floating up into that cube for some reason. Yeah, later, that was like... strange. But when they did like close ups onto it onto its mouth, it. I loved that effect. Well, but that, I loved how but that I don't effect think that's looked. CGI. I'm talking about like green, like well, right. it was blue screen probably then. And but sorry, I guess I was talking about general special effects. Special effects, like, like, because a lot of this was that was puppetry. Practical, a yeah. lot of a lot of it was puppetry, which that's that's a a lost art now, and like that's another reason why CGI is whatever because puppetry is great. I don't know, but I I feel like there's just but I mean puppetry yeah. is think about like. Yoda, mm-hmm. and while that was great, it was extraordinarily limited into what kind of story it could tell because either Yoda had to have his bottom half cut off by the bottom of the screen, or be behind something, or he's his backpack, and like I mean, a lot of it they just he was underground and what he they operated through his feet. But I'm and, saying it certainly but limits it, what, but at the what same kind of shoots time, you can have or what kind of Yoda becomes a Frank Oz performance. And not Frank Oz doing the voice and some a, a tag team of 15 sure. animators no, did his performance and, and I, or, or mocap or whatever. Like, all, like, there's something to be said for Frank Oz is Yoda mm-hmm. and Frank Oz voices Yoda. I do not disagree with that. I want to be very clear. The only point I'm trying to make is you have Yoda in how many scenes throughout the Star Wars movies maybe five or six like he's not there yeah he's not you know i mean it, in the original three in, in the empire he's in it quite a bit but right. and then the oh yeah if you're only talking the original trilogy yeah it's mostly just those few scenes in right um empire if you're and he's in, in whatever one of those prequels yeah. and, and while i was dan- and like it looks stupid he's dancing around and bouncing all over the mm-hmm. walls and stuff and it looks fucking stupid well and while i would say that like Yoda is among the most successful like puppetry characters mm-hmm. of all time. Mm-hmm. If you had to make a whole movie in the early 1980s about Yoda, you are deeply um, stymied by the fact that like you always need a puppeteer to be able to hide somewhere. But you can you can you can do some level of You don't think though the Muppets overlap. movies when they're obviously like when they're obviously making a point to... Like, I'm thinking of, like, Kermit the Frog kind of dancing a little bit. And it just looks... It's a but different you can, look. You can, but yeah. But you can do a combination of things instead of just every... I'm not you know. saying it's impossible. I'm sure. just saying that pup, uh, puppetry, puppeteering necessarily limits the shots you can get while still making it a full-on puppet. You cannot show a puppeteer's... Uh, puppets entire body including their legs and have all of them move naturally via puppeteers and not have like three people around them does that make sense yeah no i know um and so but for me the like what i was talking about with dune is just the the blue screen shit like they're when they look out a window and it's like you can see the blending explosions blow and you can it it isn't you know, it's you can see different colors that shouldn't be there. And when shit. did the Star Wars movies come out? First one was seventy seven. Seventy seven. So, oh, the entire 80? 77, 81, 83. I so think. everything was out by the time this got yeah. filmed. So I, I did definitely see a lot of Star Wars influence in that 
scene where it's the four people traveling wherever. One of them is Calvin McLaughlin. I can't remember. Uh, yeah, yeah. And it just looks like... When they're like, traveling to Arrakis and yeah, it yeah. looks like the Millennium Falcon Yeah, exactly. Cockpit. And even like... Even the fucking sandworms look like the fucking Sarlacc pit. I thought the sandworms looked fucking dope. They, but again... They look so... Puppetry. Go- yeah. It's it's one of the... It, it's really interesting. The, I, I was I was The visual effects that were kind of dumb where we're like the block... Sh- the... The, the that looks like shit, but according and like the, the 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 when they had the fight scene at the beginning with Patrick Stewart with a knife when they fight. According to my notes, and by notes I mean the trivia, that was the first time anything like that's ever been captured on sure. screen. Sure. It was the first and time they had I mean. like, like CG those are following things, a human's body. That's that's what's cool is like Yeah, and now it looks stupid. But Again, but not at the time. It, it, that's exactly it. And it's hard. That's why I'm saying if I had seen this as a child, mm-hmm. I would love this movie. I mean, and it, it's it's just hard to watch it now with, I've been spoiled, you sure. know, with other shit. And like, it's the same way, like, we watch, when you're like, oh, some of these fucking effects in Twin Peaks season three look stupid. But like. That's how he likes it. He likes it that yeah. way. Like clearly. And because you could be better and he doesn't want to. doesn't need to. He has the money to do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I. I do get that. I just. I mean. I, I wonder if you. Like when you watch Wizard of Oz now, for example. Mm-hmm. There are some quote unquote special effects that are like painfully obvious to see how they did it. So I'm thinking of like Glenda's appearance of like that bubble floating around. And then also like, it's, I think it looks, I think, I think it looks most of that still looks better than anything in Dune. (sighs) Okay. All right. So that's where I was going. Also a lot of it too, is that it's in camera special effects back then. Like I just, I don't know. And maybe, maybe again, I, it's and it was the eighties, which was like such a weird time for like special effects were an option. CGS effects sure. were kind of an option, but also not really. But I thought the moments that this movie succeeded most were the practical effects. I loved yeah. that weird blob in the fucking. Thi- <laughs> I loved the entire thing of whenever they talked to somebody who didn't speak quote unquote English or whatever their version. Oh, I of love it. the the translator. Things. Oh my god, I isn't it, it such a dope effect? And, of course, and like, I love that I can hear him. The explains so much. Like I like, there's things in this that I think are incredible. Yeah, and like that's the thing is there's a lot yeah. of. I feel like I liked more things than I disliked in this movie. And it wasn't, and I, the other thing is it wasn't like incredibly violent. It wasn't, for me, yeah. for me watching it, it hit some of the marks I, of like, yeah, there were two or three women or whatever, but like, I think it wasn't a, it wasn't a yeah, I think toxic that's masculine. That's my thing is it, is it's, it's not bad enough to be silly and mm-hmm. stupid and a fun watch like you're talking about. And it's not good enough to be like, it's so, it's too all over the fucking place. Sure. To be a good movie. It's not coherent. That's, if if there was some level of coherence, like the difference is like, you know, Inland Empire, well, we'll get there, but like Inland Empire, things like that are incoherent. But you're not supposed to fucking know. This movie is, is, right. is put out to you in a way that you're, the fact that they like are recapping things with voiceover at the end means you were following, they thought you were following along. Yeah. It's, I, I don't mind not understanding a Lynch film. I love it, in fact. Sure. The I don't I don't entirely understand what's happening in, in Eraserhead, 
but I'm not necessarily supposed yeah. to. You were supposed to be able to, according to the delivery of this, right. they thought you were supposed to be able to follow this, and it's just not possible. I think that's a really good way to put it. I, I think there is a... There's, there's watching David Lynch shit. Season three, I think, is a great example in, in so many ways of like, hey, don't think too hard about this. Just let it wash over you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He likes to affect your feelings, it seems, more yeah. than anything else. Um, so there's a difference between going into a movie and being like, yeah, you're... And I think that's honestly how I went into this movie, which is I, yeah. why I, I enjoyed it more than I probably would have in another circumstance. That I was like, this is going to be a mess. I'm going to pay attention. I'm going to try to like find the little... Mm-hmm. Moments of joy, so to and there's, speak. There, yeah, there's there's a lot of cool world building things. You like, you know, we talked to the translator. I like the garbage, like the fact mm-hmm. that it was just like an acid trap on the mm-hmm. floor, and they just like throw everything in there. Yeah, just, that was dope. Like, there's really simple, cool things like that that I think are. That's not in the book. I I mean, I, I don't it, know. It feels like there's things that are like these are just a choice of of at least how to display it and how to show it. Mm-hmm. These are there's choices made, and I think some of those choices are fantastic. Mm-hmm. I just, God, I I wish it either it hits in this middle ground, and I wish it it had either been less made less sense or made significantly more sense, mm-hmm. and it just becomes hard to watch because of it. Yeah, and I think, and I want to. We're at. An hour forty-five. Yeah, and so we, we haven't should... followed the story no, <laughs> at all. At so all. we're if you hadn't guessed, we're gonna ditch the summary. Yeah, that did not work out. Considering we've talked that we're at what two hours and we haven't talked about hour forty-five, yeah. We haven't talked about Dune almost at all. <laughs> no, yeah, but we're not talking about Dune, we're talking around Dune. You yeah. Know? I mean, and and that's exactly it. Is it like I think the movie is important. I'm glad it exists. I'm glad David Lynch was involved in it. I don't like the yeah. the deliverable, yeah. you know, like, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't hate the deliverable. And I don't think that David Lynch did a capital B bad job. Right. I think this was outside of his comfort zone mm-hmm. as a movie and then outside of his comfort zone as an artist in mm-hmm. terms of how he got to do his work. And the combination was just he lost control of his project seemed to sort of throw up his hands at a point and say like what whatever it's but your that's fucking the other movie thing now too is that like it doesn't seem like someone who gave up <sighs> I do you think I do like because... is there anything that you can point to that sh- that looks like give up yes what the two minute monologue about two years passed and they fell more in love and this happened and that happened okay. and then okay we're because I literally thought it was over then I was getting yeah, ready yeah, to yeah. get up and then all of a sudden we had 25 minutes left I was like, yeah. it, that genuinely felt like something even, like even the I, start like and I think that was that the fe- start was, was one that of the feels that like we screened this movie and people said well, what the fuck right. like so I, I feel like this came up earlier the ADR was was the ADR voiceover thoughts was that planned or was that i feel like we brought it up and they got distracted you were looking it up and you were you had an answer for it or whatever i thought i don't think i did you were like oh yeah i wanted to talk about that because i feel like i wanted to talk about the adr but i don't the fact that you're hearing thoughts and was that was that a byproduct of people didn't understand the movie so we went back and did it or to me i i i want to be clear i don't have anything i thought okay i may have at some point you said you did okay um, to me, 
those voiceovers were largely it's uh, this is all conjecture some of the voiceover I think was interesting and helpful especially when it was like overlapped with people's actual dialogue which I thought was a cool effect Mm -hmm. like somebody would be talking to Kyle McLaughlin and you only hear his thoughts I think Mm -hmm. that was a neat a neat thing but to me I see this kind of voiceover as a failure of writing I agree but the other thing the reason why I'm it confuses me a little because I can't tell if it's was an after the fact thing or was it intentionally written in there or whatever is that this is where you get all the lines of dialogue that feel like they were in the book clearly mm-hmm. like the sleeper must awaken mm-hmm. and the spice must flow mm-hmm. all these what would be famous phrases mm-hmm. they're almost all said in head mm-hmm and especially mm-hmm. when, like, one of the first characters you meet is someone who can read people's minds, and you're like, cool, this is the person who's going to be able to read minds, and then you're like, oh, you just can read everybody's minds yeah, as a viewer. Uh, that, like, yes. it that's strange. But there was things that, like, several times they have a voiceover thing, and you're like, oh, that's what they're thinking? Because didn't get that. Oh, I feel the opposite. There was a couple things that, like, Kamalakan did, and he's like, my mother came back and I was happy to see her. And I'm like, well, yeah, you smiled. I sort of picked that <laughs> well, up. Well, some of it. But I'm wondering if they put in some of those to make the important moments less obvious. Mm. You know what I mean? If oh, oh, if we have a through line of voiceover throughout the entire film, it's not as jarring, jarring yeah. when we have to give you an important piece of dialogue or whatever. So, okay. I think I have reached my conclusion on my thoughts on this film okay my thought is this film failed <laughs> but okay it's been great <laughs> see you guys uh next time we're gonna be coming back with blue velvet but i do not think there is a single person or influence you can necessarily point to that said this ruined the movie because i'm frankly not sure david lynch could have pulled this off even in the three hours that he wanted or the like sure. maybe he could have done it in two movies two two-hour movies like the the montage at the beginning or the or the voiceover at the beginning the voiceover with the two years later all that stuff that probably would have been extrapolated upon yes that's those are the moments and, where- and also the moments that they skimmed over like that like because at least in like lord of the rings they have a very similar opening right mm-hmm. in lord of the ring the world is changing i can feel in the air i can feel in the water um it's it's Cape Blanchett, but they and it's you know the first ninety seconds or whatever is voiceover by Cape Blanchett, but they give you visuals of those things happening as opposed to like Virginia Madsen's face talking at you, right? Or in the in the second <laughs> so like catch up do, over those two years, it was like <laughs> Kyle McLaughlin and that Owen lady fell in love and their love grew, and it's just them standing next to each other holding hands, like well that's. Yeah. If I was reading a book and it said their love grew, I'd be like, what the fuck are you? Like, I paid money for this book so you can tell me what it's like to fall in love. You can't yeah. just tell me, like, yeah. they fall in love. Done. End of story. Done. Happy ending. Isn't that great, guys? Um, so, yeah. I, I do feel like I did not hate the process of watching it, which I, there have Good. been yeah. more than one movies that I've watched with you that I was just like, I'm mad that I'm watching this right mm-hmm. now, but I 
feel like I would be a bitch if I left. <laughs> it's just sort of my <laughs> my all the time mindset. I, this is why you intentionally put yourself to sleep during Lost Highway. Listen, the only time I've ever, like, quote-unquote walked out of a movie that you and I were walk- watching together was um, Heat, I think. Heat? Really? I think yeah. so. That's the De Niro and... That. Yeah, that's the... Pesci? Yeah. No. Uh, Val Kilmer and, and... Is that Pacino and... Pacino and okay. De Niro and... Yeah, yeah I... Michael Mann. I think that movie. is the first time, like, uh, at least since we lived in this house, that I was watching a movie and I was like, hey... I'm going upstairs. Huh. I just... Also, I should probably be better about doing that, of like, I'm not enjoying this. I don't... But I, I feel like I'm beholden to you to be your partner and watching shit, which just means I'm successfully doing neither of those things. Like, I'm not enjoying it, nor am I being a good partner, but I'm physically there. <laughs> so you can look at me sometimes and be like, eh? And I'll be like, yeah. I wasn't paying attention. I was playing Candy Crush. I mean, you're doing that for... All movies, but... Yeah, no, that's true. This one I paid a lot of attention to, not to brag. I only almost fell asleep once, and then you told me I was falling asleep, and I was like, no. I was lying to you. I'm so sorry. Oh, I was definitely yeah, dozing I off. because I looked at you in the face, and you were like, I was blinking for like but for like a, a little while. I just don't want you to be mad at me. Are you mad at me? Are you mad at Mikey? Mikey, 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 are you mad at me? That's fine. The difference is I, wanted, I didn't want to have to go back and rewatch it so we could talk <laughs> about this shit. Yeah. And then we talk about this and we're barely talking about it so i just this one this one mattered more because we have to talk about it yeah and i would argue you don't have as much to say about it so we need to to be more of a dialogue i I think this i was genuinely concerned watching like this is this is like a perfect c movie it's not enough to be bad it's not good Mm -hmm. it's there's some cool shit to watch yeah it's not bad in the way when you see like the room or movies like that of like like those Christian movies I've watched for um, yeah the fun bad or whatever yeah yeah, yeah. What's, even like the ones what's that podcast I was on god awful movies god awful movies even, like those are like bad bad Christian but even bad. like the you know the the D twos and the shit like that that we enjoy the Batman Forevers the yeah Demolition Man or whatever like these are bad movies but they're fun bad I don't they don't care take that, themselves too even seriously even like Fast and the Furious and shit like I fucking love every second of of. <laughs> Fast Five and Beyond. Like, the yeah. first four are... Four is okay. The first three, I don't really like. Uh, honestly, it, it's, I mean, it's I saw... one of the weird fucking franchises where the first movie is hands down the worst. Hard disagree. What? Really? Uh, okay. Well, I, I think the first one personally? is just a bad ripoff of a bunch of other movies. I... It's, it's it's situational. It's for fucking me. point break in a car. So okay, what year do you think the first Fast and Furious Fast and two thousand? I think two thousand one, maybe. No, oh, Fast and Furious nine. Fast and Furious. Fast, it's the Fast and the Furious because Fast and Furious is. I'm is never going to type all that out. You're out of your but fucking it, but, mind. But but there's a different movie called Fast and Furious, and it's the fourth one. Two thousand June two thousand one. So I was okay. fifteen when it came out, and I saw it in theaters. And it was not the first time, but like one of the earlier times I like went out to a movie with just my friends and some boys who I was in love with. Obviously, all of them, like whatever. Um, and I genuinely enjoy. I I went in only seeing it because like the boys would watch it with us, and because I was a terrible feminist back then. I was like, whatever you want to watch, boys, as long as you hang out with me and think I'm pretty. They didn't. Anyway, um, but. 
Oh, no, the new one. <laughs> I was looking up. <laughs> I was looking up Fast and Furious 1, and I saw a Showtime, like, oh, it's playing at Seven Bridges IMAX. It's a, it's a new one whenever it comes out. It's, well, they, a lot of theaters are, are replaying a lot of them, though. But it's it's not. It's it's the new one. But, yeah, it's the whole... It's the, the moment they stopped relying on physics is when the, the franchise got enjoyed. And isn't that funny? Because that's when I gen generally tap out of like action movies of like I don't give like and I'm not an action movie person anyway. But like as soon as physics no longer are part of the universe, it, I'm like, what am I yeah, watching it helps this for? That it not only did physics become less and like at at the same rate that physics became less important, mm-hmm. diversity became more important. Sure. Both in front of the camera and behind it. Mm-hmm. Like the, I think we've talked about this before, even on here. But the first movie is the only one directed by a white man. That's so good. There's, I mean... It's it's great. That granted, that's... Justin Lin, who's an Asian man, directed four or five of them. So that helps. But like... Yeah. <laughs> I also don't know who did... Who's doing nine. Um, but James Wan directed one of them. I think six... F. Gary Gray directed one of them. He's a black man, did eight. Um, but there's, you know what I mean? Like, there's there's diversity behind the camera. And it's Justin Lin again is nine. Is nine? Cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, nice. Um, nine and ten. Nice, nice. <laughs> uh, but, but You're in, so stoked. But in, but in front of the camera, too, you've got, like, Brian O'Connor, your Paul Walker, was really your only white man mm-hmm. Vin Diesel is ethnically ambiguous yeah, <laughs> racially or ethnically ambiguous you know you've got a Latina woman in Michelle Rodriguez who's frequent you've got you Jordana know, Brewster who is equally ambiguous vis-a-vis right. well, she's got to be related to yeah to, they're, they're from the same weird yeah. island in the Mediterranean Sea <laughs> exactly <laughs> uh, but you've got you know Tyrese and Ludacris and you know, Gal Gadot was in it for me. Yeah, like there's, you know, Han comes in, like there's Han's the best. There's so is many that, great characters. Is that Sung Kang? What's that? Is that Sung Kang? Is that? Yeah, who? I think so. That sounds yeah, right. Yeah, Han. Yeah. Um, God, he's hot. Did you know his name is Han Solo? His actual character name S E O U. No, I did know that, and it's I was so mad about it. They then. never say. And guess what? It. They never say it, but there's spots where you can like see him ID'd. It's great. God, he's so charismatic. Those fucking move, but like, I just want. But the the fact that like, yeah, all of the, it's just I love it. I just they're just so shut shut your fucking head off. Get some fucking popcorn. It's the way other people watch movie. reality TV. Is exactly, how you watch exactly. Like the but but furious. more goes but into you're this. Really judgy about people who watch reality TV. I'm not judgy about the people. I'm judgy about the product. I think it, I think reality TV and you're not top to bottom is at garbage. all about people who watch. Reality just, I'm TV. just totally uninterested. But you don't judge people who watch it or who think you it's good. Watch it. You fucking watch it every week with people, and then I use that time to watch other shit. Okay. I was just I, wondering I don't, if you genuinely no. didn't I, judge people. I don't care. I who's Lucas Black? Oh, he's in he's in the second one or in the third. He's oh, in Tokyo. He Dr- the, he's the white guy in Tokyo. Gotcha. Dr- Southern guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Super thick Southern accent. He has accent. a terrible haircut in his IMDb picture. Oh. He's married to Maggie O'Brien. Who's that? Okay, this is stupid and boring. Hey, everybody. 
Any other thoughts on Dune? I, I mean, I I think the reality of this is, for the purposes of this podcast, Dune does not feel like a reflection of David Lynch's work. It is not at the something. Same time, I mean, I think any it's individual shot that you look at, it looks sure. Oh, absolutely, this was David but, Lynch. But this, as a whole, doesn't reflect David Lynch's catalog. I think it's. Sure. I'm glad we did. I'm glad sure. I watched it yeah. because I I do enjoy seeing like oh Everett McGill McGill was in this. Oh, he was uh, top I, to I, bottom. I, the cast is insane. Oh my god, it's so good. Everett McGill, so Patrick many Stewart, men, but whatever. Um, John Young. Sean Young is great. Uh, fucking Dean Stockwell and right. Jorgen Prochno and there's so many great fucking people in this. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I'm glad I watched it and I I really do Jack enjoy. Nance. Yeah, you see your Jack Nance, your Jack Nance, your Everett's McGill, and like it's I like that sense of loyalty that mm-hmm, that it, Alicia uh, what Alicia Witt hmm? is that what he said just yeah, said baby baby, baby Alicia, Alicia Witt okay. Um, yeah, who was the weird, tiny queen in the last quarter of the movie? Yeah, she's yep. so strange. Um, but Aaliyah or something—I think her name was. Yeah, it doesn't matter. But but I like seeing the the loyalty that David Lynch seems to accrue because so many people follow him from project to project yeah. to project to project and like end up marrying him. <laughs> I was just thinking specifically of Italian Bird. What's her name? Uh, he never married Isabella Rossellini. I thought they were... They dated for a long time, but I don't think they were actually married. Oh, I thought they were married. They, okay. I could be wrong, but... Regardless. But anyway, they dated my point for a long is, time, but I don't think they ever actually married. To me, I enjoy watching... I guess I would describe it as like David Lynch's like accumulation of talent. Mm-hmm. Of like he finds people and he's like, oh, you get it. You get it. You get it. You get what we're doing Wes here. Anderson does the same thing. Yes. And he, I think there... It's, I, it's I think a combination most... of... I you You get it. You've got your talent, but like... You get me, and I don't have to explain mm-hmm. quirky to you, like the yeah. way like like Jason Schwartzman gets Wes Anderson's sensibility. Correct. This like the way we talked about the sandwich scene from uh, Twin Peaks, and yes, uh, Richard Beamer being like, I, I I couldn't go bigger than that. It was weird, and then I saw it on film, and I was like, oh, I could have gone bigger. I get it. I get what you're going for. I don't have to explain those things to you anymore. Yeah, and now I'll never Naomi have to Watts, do that. Laura Dern, Kyle MacLachlan. I don't have to explain those things because you get where I'm coming from. Right. I know you know my body of work. You know how I work. It's, I feel like, yeah. Uh, Scorsese, every, every really prolific director. Has their people. Has people. Which they, everybody you know, has their. Scorsese's got his De Niro's and Pesci's and whatever. Artists Wes Anderson have has their his muses. Owen Wilson's and Jason Schwartzman's. Lynch has his McLaughlin's and Lord Ern's and whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, everybody does. And I think it's great to just be like, you know what? I'm going to do this project. I can rely. We'll bring this person on. I can rely I'm, on I'm. Then I can focus on this new person I brought in and spend extra effort on them and making sure they get it. And, and then they become part of the crew and I bring them in oh, another right. project. Yeah. Uh, I am uh, very strongly of two minds in a way that I don't know if I'll ever be able to resolve about things like that. Of like, okay. I'll hey. I'll push you one way or the other. Okay, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, about just tell me which way you want to go. Or no. Oh, okay. Can I just tell you my opinions and then you can tell <laughs> oh, me which which oh. way I'm wrong? Yeah, I'll definitely. You're, they're both wrong. I'm sure. <laughs> so, part of me, twelve thousand percent, gets 
this is my crew of actors and I trust them Mm -hmm. and we get each other and we get what we're doing and I know I will have a friction free or friction reduced Mm -hmm. time directing these people because we have shorthand they know what I'm looking for etc I do get that as an artist Mm -hmm. however I think when you're directing big budget movies and I don't I think Dave Lynch is low-key part of it but but I'm thinking more of the um uh, what's his face? Who did the frat pack? All the frat pack. Frat pack. No frat pack. The the old schools. Um, oh oh, Todd Phillips. Yes. Okay. okay. Which actually explains why I don't like him because Joker. But like Will Ferrell, the Owen, you know Owen and and Luke Wilson, um, etc. Like the guys who are in old school and have been in like base like. Everything he's been in since just as long since he was part of this crew. He doesn't have a lot of carryover because well, he the first. I thing guess he I'm did thinking of like how I trip and and stuff like that, and then which was like Justin Long, who was also in. But I mean, yeah. they're they you know that when they say when I say the frat pack that whether or not that pairs that that missed you, but that was like the guys who were in old school and all of their collective works. So the way sure. like Anchorman has a lot of overlap as, you know, Dodgeball and et cetera. Like there are very similar characters and characteristics. But I don't but that's the thing is that I don't think that was driven by a director. I would go back further and say the Brat Pack does. Uh, well, and that's John Hughes who brings I'm in not- Anthony Michael Hall and, you know, Molly Ringwald and all that. So, like, the frat pack was, like, the 1990s. Ben Stiller, Owen Wilson, Luke Wilson, Will Ferrell, Steve Carell, Jack Black, Vince Vaughn. Like, those kinds of... Okay. Kind of over-the-top, like, dude bro movies. I, I... That's the thing, is that I don't think any one of those people is in more than one Todd Phillips movie. I, okay, I, I want to be... Maybe I'm not talking about Todd Phillips. Okay. I'm talking about the frat pack. I am talking okay. about, like, the idea of... That the just comedy in the two thousand aughts or whatever, right? And like Je- Judd Apatow, Adam McKay, Todd Phillips okay. were kind of the same. Okay, that same. Gotcha, got. I, I Apatow and 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 McKay more so. I, I'll give you that. Gotcha. Yeah, knocked up. Tropic Thunder, yeah. Step Brothers, Forty Year Old Virgin, all of those movies. That and McKay all came produced out. a lot of those right. too. Yeah. So so you understand what I mean of like your sort of pool of actors sure. who you work with, which I think in a lot of ways is is great. And there's a reason, you know, comedy troops work that way mm-hmm. is comedy is really relying on other people. I assume drama is either. I don't know what mm-hmm. drama is. Um, but I like that from an artistic standpoint of like, these are my people. These mm-hmm. are, you know, and also I was like an actor in high school, you know, in theater club in high school. And you have your same group of 20 people and you, you sort of like match. The state group. The state group, exactly. It's a really They've gone on yeah. to do all sorts of different things, and mm-hmm. they branch out and do other stuff, and then mm-hmm. they overlap exactly. and bring people back in, um, and yeah. And I get that when you're talking about I'm making art, but when we're talking like your Wes Andersons who are making huge motion pictures, mm-hmm. huge movies that are going to be like seen by a lot of people and almost mm-hmm. certainly going to be successful, it's sort of. I find it irksome that he uses the same people over and over because I just feel like that is did not. It's the same way I feel like when like famous actors do voiceover work. I like think, you don't need this. Like yeah. this is not it, it, yeah. it, because you have because unfortunately the way Hollywood is, it's not purely an artistic mm-hmm. 
endeavor. It's a it's a capitalistic endeavor. What I think is interesting about some of those, Wes Anderson in particular, is Wes Anderson is not just relying on his faithful crew to deliver this piece. He, A, is usually writing his own screenplays. Mm-hmm. So he's writing things with certain people in mind. Mm-hmm. These are the people. These are my friends. These are people. Sure. Oh, I'm going to write this thing. You know what? This would be great for Schwartzman. Mm-hmm. This would be great for Bill Murray. Mm-hmm. This would be, you know. But then he just keeps, uh, he keeps growing his crew. Yeah. So he's, his, Bill Murray. Is Mur- it diversifying though? I guess is my sort of main thing. He tells a lot of. No, I, I, I it, sometimes. Because I think, and I'm I know I'm in the 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 minority here, but I I think Grand Budapest Hotel is one of his worst films. Mm-hmm. I think it's just uninteresting, all over the place. It looks fake, whatever. I have no memory of it. Exactly. I remember That's, enjoying it in theaters, but I, it, I like it's fine. About it. I don't hate it, but I sure. whatever. But I loved Moonrise Kingdom, and I loved I it like because well. really, mm-hmm. I loved mostly because I'm watching two these two kids who I liked their dynamic mm-hmm. and they're new. But also you brought in Ed Norton and he was new to the and oh he fits right into this crew. I like that. And he oh fit it's in. fun to see Ed Norton doing comedy, which right. we don't see him do and he's Right. And same is thing. He Bill, an, is he and Bill canceled? Murray came in and and or not Bill um Bruce Willis, Bruce Willis was really did funny. Comedy in that. again, yeah, yeah. Harvey Keitel was in that sure. movie. Like he brought in different people, but like also Jason Schwartzman is still there Owen Wilson is still there mm-hmm. like these people are still there mm-hmm. but they're no longer like like you started out with Bill Murray and um, Jason Adam, Schwartzman yeah. in Rushmore yeah these are the Which front and center seen. and then they tur- start getting relegated to you know and or even before that Owen Wilson and Jason Schwartzman in Bottle Rocket they they become big and then they start getting relegated to supporting characters mm-hmm. and they bring in this new person. Mm-hmm. They bring in Ray Fiennes is, you know, the main. Sorry, I rolled my eyes at you and you didn't deserve that at all. I'm sorry. But I, but that's, I feel like, and, and his cast just but as bigger if, and bigger. But too. as if Ray Fiennes is such like an underground choice. It, it becomes, it becomes a little bit. He or his brother Woody were Baltimore. I don't Robert remember Robert Altman. Mm. I just I want I want I want to work with Wes Anderson at some point in my career. Sure. I want to work with you know Robert Altman or Woody Allen yeah. or whoever it is. I don't know. I. But yeah. I get it, and I I'm. I mean, me, I think. I'm meanwhile, just... I think the best character in all of anything Wes Anderson has ever done is Gene Hackman as Royal Tenenbaum, and he's only been in the one. Mm-hmm. And it's so good. Yeah, with Stephen Hackman. But but that's what I mean. Like above and beyond anything else, sure. Wes Anderson's ever done. Yeah, and I and I get it. And I, it's an impossible thing because it's it gets into the same thing of like you're making. Oh God, I don't know. I don't know. And there's no reason that Wes Anderson should be obligated to mm-hmm. hire a new diverse cast. Except for the fact that, like, you know, minority actors deserve work and are as talented as anybody else and are given fewer opportunities. Mm-hmm. So, like, just try something new. But, but, but that's all fucking capitalism, right? Like, I want more people to get more work. And every time you cast Luke Wilson in a thing, that's another goofy-looking floppy-haired guy who doesn't but get I, that but role. Again, it comes from writing what you know. And, yeah. and he doesn't 
I I don't want I absolutely don't want to see, you know, Wes Anderson writing some inner city black youth story or of some shit not. that like he knows not. nothing about. And I think I'm sure they see it in a way of like, well, as soon as you if Margot Tannenbaum is black, that introduces a really different and weird dynamic of racial yeah. tension then. Which and Wes Anderson in, certainly I mean, isn't. Danny Glover is in course. that movie and they but brought I'm, in some racial tension too with the fact that she's with you know they're dating and whatever I, mean, and I haven't seen it in a long time but yeah, like if anyway. they adopted because she's adopted right Margaret Tenenbaum I'm making that up she was she, this is my adopted daughter Margaret Tenenbaum yeah oh okay I, yeah, I genuinely yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't seen him probably yeah. 10 years okay. if the adopted daughter is black all of a sudden you have to deal with the additional mm-hmm. tension that arises and I bet you fucking Wes Anderson is not equipped to write about racial tensions the, um, in the a- difference is they absolutely did exactly that with the fact that um, Angelica Houston ex ex Mrs. Tenenbaum is dating Danny Glover, Danny Glover. And, and and Royal Tenenbaum is being racist towards him okay. and, well, and that, they, you know what? They, they do do that a little bit it but, wasn't a good example because right, I don't know it that regardless. well but I, what I think I like, though, the difference is Schwartzman has been in every one of fucking, most of, if not every one of his movies. Bill Murray has been in most of, if not, Owen Wilson has been in most of, if not every one. Really and truly, Kyle MacLachlan, you think of him as a David Lynch go-to, he's been in Blue Velvet, Twin Peaks, and Doom. Mm-hmm. Laura Dern, you think of it, oh, she's been in Inland Empire, she's been in Twin Peaks, now, the second batch, mm-hmm. and Blue Velvet, mm-hmm. and 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 Wild Heart, but like Cheryl Lee, Twin Peaks, she's in Wild Heart. There's I don't even think Shirley is like a Lynch person. I just think her is Twin Peaks. Yeah, which I mean, but that's it, what I mean. Like as soon as you throw a TV show, that's I can, a different but I can, thing. I can fall back into the well, and I've got these. But really and truly, most of them aren't in more than two or three things. Sure. But I don't know. I mean, Jack Nance is in three. Jack Nance, but even, but four. he's very rarely a prominent character except for Eraserhead. Oh, I see. You know what I mean? Like, he's barely in Dune. Mm-hmm. He's got a very small, he's in everything. Mm-hmm. Except for, I think, Elephant Man. Barely in Wild at Heart. Yeah. Barely, might not be in Lost Highway, I don't recall. Mm-hmm. But barely in these other things and it's just kind of like I'm gonna bring my buddy on sure kind of yeah that's fair okay well I have utterly run out of steam yeah do you have any last thoughts I mean okay we talked about Dune the least of anything we've ever done sure. but I also did not have much to say about right. Dune I think I think the one thing that I I like too is that overall this is regarded as a terrible movie mm-hmm I love something I love about Kyle MacLachlan as a, an actor, as a personality in Hollywood, is he doesn't care. Like he's he ha, like he's posting shit on Instagram and Twitter. And oh, he stuff always posts stuff about from Dune. Dune, but he posts shit about like the Flintstones and shit. He's not too big for this shit. I there's an interview thing Kevin that I Glockland saw. Kevin is a perfect amount of famous. Exactly, mm-hmm. but like there's there's things where I've seen of like Jared Leto who was in like one of the urban legends, and someone asked him something about it in an interview. He's like, 
oh, was I? I don't I remember that. Was I in that? And you're like, fuck you. Suck my dick, Jared Fuck Leto. you. I mean, it's the same way when like, you hear don't, like. Don't pretend you don't remember you were in that fucking movie. Just, if you don't remember details about certain things on set or something, that's one thing. But like, oh, I don't even remember. As a, a being in one of you. the most famous 90s horror movies is like something that's embarrassing. And, and a launching point for your career. I mean, and granted, sir, was, you were in Suicide Squad. So let's fucking take it no easy sh- about like, what you're proud it's, of. It's just so, yeah, like. And there's a lot of actors like that who, who try to just Musicians do that pretend that they weren't in this thing because it was early in my career and I was trying to figure. Fucking McLaughlin has no fucking qualms no. about that, man. He's yeah, I was he the fucking very villain secure. in the bad Flintstones movie. Fuck yeah, yeah. I post that picture of me on Evil Cliff Vanderclave on the fucking yeah, he had horn a phone all the time. Horrifying like, on-screen sex during Showgirls and right. He's, he's not nearly as embarrassed as he should be about right. that. Right. But that's true. I'm like, emba- I'm more embarrassed for him exactly. than he is of himself. But and like, that is he owns a compliment. Up to it. I've seen him like repost jokes about showgirls and stuff like that because he's like, fuck yeah, I did it. Well, you, I don't care. It's part of me and my career. We talked about it when Ross was on, but tell a story again about when we met. Uh, this will be our closing when we met Calvin McLaughlin um, and you had him sign our wine bottle. <laughs> okay. Uh, and then we'll, so, we'll shut it down for Yeah, you. so as... Pursued by wine. Everyone knows he has Hashtag a, pursued by wine. Pursued, pursued by, by bear. We want them to sponsor us even yeah. though this show is coming I, to an end. Yeah, right. That's fine. <laughs> Give us back pay. Uh, yeah. um, he has, what if we got back pay? Yeah, right. I have been buying a lot of pursued by bear wine. Lately. Like an irresponsible. Yeah, though. but it's delicious. Um, you can get me another Fist City. Um, so yeah, so we went. They were doing a... In, in Chicago... Um, a couple blocks away from my office, they were doing a wine pairing. I, so I don't want to call it a dinner because it wasn't like, there wasn't like a full big entree. It was just a wine pairing night where they would, it was, it was pursued no, that's by. that's exactly what it was. It was like yeah. five core. It was the bougiest yeah, shit we've ever done. But it was done. like really small portions of mm-hmm. everything, but it was, it was all about the pairings and you got yeah whatever six courses five courses whatever it was and you got a little and it was quarter of a glass of yeah. wine like three sips pursued by bear wine and some other winery i don't remember what we have it written down um and they were there they would talk through you know what went into creating this wine whatever you're pairing with this scallops or whatever and so there's probably eight tables in this little room that we have yeah, and what 10 people at each table yeah and so like every course they say this is what this course is this is this wine here's a little anecdote about this wine to make you feel right. emotion emotionally willing to pay a hundred dollars for this bottle of wine right. <laughs> for the event not, right not for the no we paid 300 dollars for the fucking event but like just well, the idea of like 150 a piece. this yeah. wine is special and here's right. why michael grave you was, should spend a, 60 dollars on really a bottle of wine that people because it was a bunch of like bougie Naperville white people who Mm -hmm. do this all the time and those are the people who take like one sip of wine or like whatever and and move it away and then left early and then there was like eight or ten or twelve of us who were like yeah that guy's wearing a like a jean jacket with twin peaks patches on it he gets it like these are people who are here for kyle um the moment I think Mikey the moment I've never been more in love with you was oh. when we were at that event and we we're so it was me Mikey there was two four six eight of us at the table so it was me Mikey another sort of like 
60-something hippie couple yeah, hippie. who I was gonna only, say, hippie was the word I was only use. talked about legalizing weed, which like <laughs> fucking, you know what? It's been a year and a half now. I hope you're getting, like, I hope you're living the life you want to live because all they talked about, yeah, this is like 2018 great. probably, all they talked about was- a few was, years. It was we lived here. Ago? It was 2017, 2018. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway. Um, and then there was a couple, a woman, and I don't know if it was her- relationship partner or just somebody she worked with from the other vineyard yes that's right yeah and then this other couple who i will never forget this just didn't talk didn't do it didn't talk just didn't want to be visibly so rich and i will never forget this for the rest of my life this woman was at a wine tasting thing and was wearing a crisp white button-down shirt (laughs) and god the confidence that you have to have to know you're not going to dribble your wine on your chin is impressive and I will never wear a white shirt anywhere fancy. Well the thing is they didn't drink any of their fucking wine. Well they sipped it. They're oh it's a good pairing. And And then we would then they would leave it on the table, and then they left early. So we're like, "Well, we're taking those wines." Well, the right? moment that I that I fell in love with you was that you like I was next to the hippie couple. You were next to the rich couple. They were like across from me. There was nobody right next to me. Oh, there wasn't. Okay. Yeah. Well, regardless, um, the rich couple left with basically, yeah, how I pour wine and uh, of wine in yeah. four glasses at each of their places, and my. Sweet, perfect, adorable husband just fucking scooched over his seat. No, he scooched over two seats so I could move next to you and was like, is it cool if we drink this? To like nobody in particular. It was just wine that was sitting on the table that's going to get dumped. And you're like, I paid for this fucking event. I'm going to enjoy it. Well, we Ubered from Aurora, or yeah, from Chicago right. to Aurora. That. So we're like, goodness, we're going to get shit faced. But we, yeah, but we were already at this point. So the end of the pairing night happened. We yes, were, I'm sorry. We're a little drunk. Um, so was he and a thing you didn't realize for a long time Kyle had been Kyle McLaughlin had also been drinking all night oh yeah which yeah. we didn't, didn't uh, consider. calculate yeah. when we were talking to him but we were chatting with yeah we so we chatted with him at the beginning of the night and then again at the end he came around if you bought wine do you want you me to, to sign to it to take home do you want me to like sign it or anything like that so I bought a couple of bottles um, and he came around and was like what do you want me to what do you want me to write what's your name she wrote, you know, and Mikey gets sassy when he gets drunk. Yeah, because he doesn't I, do it much. I was, I was in that like perfect like sassy drunk where I'm not tired. Yeah, I'm not you were feeling whatever. Yourself. I was just a little. And yeah, I think also a, you were, also this was like I'm hanging out with Kyle McGill, like fucking Agent Cooper, right? But and also, we were like, and and like to me, I don't care that much about meeting celebrities. You want to hang out with them. But, but yeah, we were chatting. Yeah, and we're I chatting. that to me is like a different I thing. think also, and I, I don't want to project my shit onto you, but the fact that there was, say, 80 people on this event, and maybe 10 of us were like primarily Kyle McLaughlin fans. Sure, sure. And so it wasn't it wasn't like going to Comic-Con and everybody swarming around him. Yeah. It felt, everybody was an adult. It was adult. very intimate. Yes, it was it very was intimate. intimate. And it was like, I'm a Kyle McLaughlin fan, but we also gen like wine is one of the things that brought us together in a set. Like we, you got me into wine and I we did. drink, like we go to, you know, all of it is part of it. Mm-hmm. And so all of that was kind of happening. And so everything was just, we were happy. It was a good time. It was a good, the world hadn't gone to shit yet. Like, um, it certainly had, but we were still in was denial. It? Okay. I mean, we I was, we I moved here was... August 2016, so like there was a yeah. very brief window. Yeah, I guess that's true. And Matt way. and Jason are here when we got the tickets. Um, yeah, that's true. So anyway, we but so he was coming around doing the signing, and he wrote, you know, to Michael, 
And he said, anything in particular you want me to write? And I said, well, I don't care as long as it's from the fucking Flintstones. And he was like, all right. So he wrote some shit and like signed it, Evil Cliff Vanderclave. And then. It definitely, it's drunk writing oh, if I've ever like, seen most it. Most of it is illegible. And I and appreciate that. And he did sort of an owl anything. cave, which was the best part of like. It's a two peaks. Oh, it's, I thought he was trying to do the owl cave and failed. Like a, a two mountains next sure, to Sure, sure, sure. Well, because when we first met, so the only time we like. It felt really celebrity-esque is when we like waited in line when it first started to just get a picture with him. Which, by the way, we both, all three of us look amazing in that (laughs) picture. Oh my God, I think. Um, Uh, But but he also, like, I remember because I handed someone else my phone to take the picture and like swiped in my 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 lock screen mm-hmm. is the red room and he was like oh i see you got and i was like didn't even think about it of course. like one of those things that i forgot about then he like called me out and kind of like do you remember what i said gave me well you joked about the fact that the difference is but my my home screen is you and uh-huh, us uh-huh. my lock screen is not so my lock screen is mikey and yeah. me at our first dance and so that was it he was like oh your your home screen is is the red room and i was like yeah my home screen is our fucking wedding but what do i know but i my my lock screen or the opposite i just of that is i didn't want dog. i don't want my lock screen to be anything identifiable that feels like back back filling no i that's what my home screen is us my lock screen is nothing identifiable that's all mm, handy <laughs> Whatever. Anyway, okay. we hung out with Kyle McLaughlin, and he was drunk, and we were drunk, and I told He's him he so had to. Handsome. So he wrote some shit about. Yeah, I'll, I'll post a picture of it. He was a joy. The other vintners were joys. Yeah, they were, and their wine was you great guys, too. Like being rich is probably really fun <laughs> because we did that once four years ago, and we're still talking about it. Rich people get to do this shit all the time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. Um, okay, so Dune, tentative thumbs down? For me, overall. If uh, Let's do this real quick to close it out. Eraserhead, Elephant Man, Dune, one, two, three, go. Oh. Elephant Man, Eraserhead, Dune. Okay. Thus far. Eraserhead, Elephant Man, Dune for me. Eraserhead, okay. Like, he's sequentially getting sure, worse. Sure, 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 sure. <laughs> You know, just like we hoped people but would comes do. In, comes in hot with uh, so, Blue Velvet uh, next time. So for, for context, I have apparently seen some of Lost Highway, but I passive-aggressively fell asleep because I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen Mulholland. seen Mulholland Drive. Don't remember a ton about it. What else do we... Blue Velvet, I've definitely never seen. Yeah, I don't think you've seen anything else because you've never seen obviously never inland you've never, never seen, seen wild at heart you've never seen wild at heart definitely haven't seen um uh, straight story you've never seen yeah so we're about to i mean i guess i hadn't seen this movie either but but i'm i'm actually excited because i feel like we're about to step into like david lynch canon like yeah, what, Dave, what david, david lynch canon yeah um with, which i'm stoked about with the only other like that's what i i I think Elephant Man is great. I don't. It doesn't I don't feel think it, David Lynch. It doesn't feel David. Elephant Man or Eraserhead is David Lynch. Right. Blue Velvet is David Lynch. These last two seem not as much. It, I mean, it feels like David Lynch trying to make a living out of directing and realizing how much he hated it. Yeah, and then goes back to being an artist. Honestly, it feels like when I used to write at Brafton, which was like a content marketing thing. Like mm-hmm. I was a writer, and oh, you're hiring me to be a writer. That's great. But I was writing stupid garbage for other people and not for me, and. Mm-hmm. It was miserable, and I was unhappy and unfilled. 
Um, well, we still have probably 20 minutes until our pizza comes, so I guess we'll just fill that off mic, would you say? Fart noise. Um, hey, if you're still listening to... So as I'm recording, this is two and a half hours. I think we're going to cut... Get yourself some Pursued by Bear wine. Get yourself some Pursued by Bear wine. Tell them Cooper Duper sent you and just... And pay full price. And pay a full price. It won't help. I cannot be clear enough. It won't help you or get you a discount. Yeah. And it probably won't help us. And there's probably nowhere to actually, when you order it, to say Cooper Duper sent me, but... But do it. Do it. <laughs> if they get if they get that enough, they might reach out and be like, what the fuck is this Cooper Duper business? I was thinking about how companies will hire people to like go from bar to bar like, oh, do you have this new liquor? And the bar's like, no. I'm like, oh, okay. And then leave. And they pay so many people to just show up at bars and be like, do you have Pursued by Bear? You know you know when teenagers go to bars and they want yeah. an $80 bottle of wine? Mm-hmm. Okay. Listen. Shut up, Mikey. We're done. <laughs> All right. Okay. Hey, thank you for listening. All right. I love you, baby. <laughs> Bye. Hey, thank you for listening. This was a weird episode, but I always enjoy getting to sit down with my husband, Jen, with him. I've drank too much wine. I'm going to cut off this recording. Bye, guys. Thank you for listening to Cooper Duper, a Twin Peaks podcast for regular people, hosted by Michael Greif and me, Jessica Blumke Greif. Our podcast logo is by Forker Creative. You can follow them at Forker Creative. Our theme music is by Brad Chactus. You can always email us at cooperduperpod at gmail.com. Please go on iTunes and leave us a positive review and tell a friend. We'll see you next week.